and welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Sai and Dan and somebody else. We've got a guest. We've got a bloody guest on, Dan. We've got a guest. It's amazing. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I can't believe it. For the very first time, we've got a third voice on the Doctor Who pod. And of all people, we could have had on first. I choose someone I see five bloody times a week. Someone <laughs> I've already seen today, but it's fine. He's here. And as requested earlier today, he's here. Sock on cock and ready to rock. It's Gary Crompton. I've just given you full name and doxed you completely, but Gazza, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm all right, mate. You can fall near me anytime you want. Yep, buzzing, excited to be here, really excited. And, of course, I get to see you again, even though we're no longer at work. No, but I'm, 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 on, I'm, on, I'm on a screen, though, Anne, and we're, we're, we're kind of used to that after all those <laughs> after all those Teams chats and, and everything Two years, else. Mate. And, and Two years. nightly conversations. That was pre-pandemic. <laughs> yep. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So then, Gary, I suppose what's going to happen with the majority of guests we have on, or all the guests we have on and so on, is you know a little bit of background information, I suppose, on your your Who fandom, I, I guess. Uh, I mean, everyone has a, 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 the first Doctor they remember, I suppose, on the television, the first, you know, favourite companions and so on. Just just talk us through how you, you first discovered, you know, your, your early memories and how you first discovered this crazy yeah, sure. world of, a, of an alien jumping back and forth through time in a little blue box. So, uh, I mean, I was born in the 70s, right? 1977. So I sort of grew up with sort of the back end. I can just sort of remember Tom Baker, but my doctor were Peter Davison. Um, okay. So obviously grew up with them and, and sort of, you know, w- went through it. Just loved it from start, you know, there was just something about it. And I still can't put my finger on it now, what it is. There's just something amazing about this show. And I, I can't. I can't say what it is. It's just, it's just something mm. brilliant. I love it. Can't go enough for it. Um, you know, sort of went all the way up to Sylvester McCoy. Hated the movie, um, but obviously, yeah. When he, when we, <laughs> when we, when when it were coming back, you know, what, uh, it just, it, it just blew my mind that they bring this massive nostalgic show back. And mm. I was telling, telling Dan today, we, we were sort of talking about old Who, and I uh, was saying that at a minimum two or three times a week, I would watch uh, the Five Doctors. It was literally right. coming coming from school, whatever, um, you know, have tea. I, and I had it on VHS and literally wore the thing out. I used to watch it that much. I can almost, almost speak it word for word from start right. to finish, which is, <laughs> it's up there in the geek thing. But yeah, uh, and, and you know, just, just, just love the show. Absolutely love it. And then when it came back, I wasn't really a massive fan of uh, Eccleston, I'll be honest with you. At first... Didn't okay. quite get it, um, but as soon as Tenant joined, it's everything just fell into place, and it's like, yeah, greatest TV show of all time. Funnily yeah. enough, uh, you say okay. about um, you say about the Five Doctors, guys. When I asked you to come on, that was your first pick. I had to, I had to, uh, uh, I had to sort of veto that because that may pop up later this season. We'll, yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah, just have it. to see. And it's yeah. funny you mentioned the Five Doctors as well because I've said before on the show here about a couple of VHS sorry vhs tapes i got as a kid uh one of them was SummerSlam 89 an old wrestling event and another one was the five doctors yeah. and i very much did the same i wore the cassette tape playing it again and again and again so that's that's one that i watched over and over again as well I, it's just <laughs> outstanding and i remember it like we i don't know if you guys will be able to remember it or not because i'm a lot older than you a lot um back when sky first started there used to be a channel called uk gold and mm-hmm. every sunday uh, Sunday morning, nine o'clock, they played every uh, sort of episode of Doctor Who in order. So for God knows 
goodness knows how many years that took, but I used to get up at nine o'clock every Sunday morning and they did Hartnell in order and then Troughton in order and they went all the way through all two. It's exactly oh. same as what's on Britbox now. So, you know, I used to, I, mm. I recorded a lot. Um, so yeah, it was just, it's just a brilliant, brilliant thing. It, have you got Britbox yourself? Do you use yep. that name? Yeah. Got it. Yep. So uh, I like oh, jumping in every now. There's some of them now, even though I loved them as a kid. You watch them back and you think, yeah, I'm not quite sure about that anymore. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, it's great to jump in and just sort of, you know, John Pertwee's The Sea Devils. Got to be one of the greatest sort of stories of old who just love it. Pure yeah. nostalgia, classic. Brilliant. I'm, go- I'm going through Pertwee at the minute. Or I was. I've had, I've had a bit of time off watching Classic Who because I've just had other things to do. But um, absolutely loving Pertwee, and that was all. Oh, on the back of, uh, that was all on the back of uh, watching Inferno. Yeah, is a great doctor, and I think obviously they said so. So Davison was my doctor as a kid. Then when we discovered UK Gold, and they were all on there, Pertwee was then my favourite doctor of all time until New Who, obviously Tennant. Okay, so Talon is your favourite Doctor of all time. Then he's kind of he's kind of overtook some of the classic Doctors for you. Yeah, absolutely. He's just brilliant. There's just everything about him. I think the story, and I guess a lot of it's probably down to Russell T. Uh, you know, being, being the showrunner at that time. I just think just that. Yeah, it's just it's just perfect. Perfect. Okay. Sort of obviously, Naff ones like Love and Monsters. We can forget about that. Yeah, uh, I, will, I will inflict that on Simon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, ten, tenants, tenants, my favourite. Love him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I'm I'm a big Tenant fan as well, but my, my I don't know if it's because I've only seen them the once or if it's just that my memory is that shocking. It seems like I have big gaps in in New Who if, in my memory. Like for example, there's masses of Matt Smith. I, I just simply don't remember. But I know yeah. I would have sat down and watched it when it aired. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, well, you know, when when did they come back? 2005 was it? 2005. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you're not was it like you're knocking on twenty years, aren't you? So I suppose if I only watched it the once twenty years ago, maybe you know eighteen years ago or whatever. So existential crisis activates because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a teenager when that came out. For fuck's sake, I was married. <laughs> <laughs> was was operative <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's the age gap right there. <laughs> I can remember the UK Gold reruns as well, and I think it was um was it BBC two as well at one stage on a weekend you used to show it quite early for, for a uh, while as well. I can't remember them being on BBC two. And then most recently before Britbox for me was the, the forces TV channel. Have you, have you got that one on, on cable? No, I don't think I've got that. No, I don't think yeah, so. They, and that is like a lot of older stuff. It, it shows like the old, um, uh, the old sitcom, like sorry and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It reruns constant <clears throat> leap quite often. And they, even now are rerunning Doctor Who still. And they were showing a couple of episodes every afternoon, but now they've changed it up a bit and they're doing like a whole story every Saturday morning, I think it is, on Forces TV. So to me, it's great because it's still getting shown out there. You haven't got, it's not hidden behind uh, a subscription fee just on BritBox. It's still out there getting shown. So, you know, new fans potentially can discover this, this great classic old show via these, these odd and obscure channels up near, you know, the horse racing and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it is and, and, and a lot of people who i speak to will only watch new who and i think they're missing an absolute trick <clears throat> if you love a show that much and you know it's, it's one of your favorite things then i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna discover all this stuff because there's so many references to old who 
in the new show. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's brilliant, you know. It's just to, to, to hear them. I think it was on, I don't know if it was on Flux or Eva the Daleks, I can't remember. Uh, someone mentioned like Nitro 9, which is obviously what Ace yeah. used to carry when she was Sylvester McCoy. It's like, yeah, I like that. Nice touch. Nice so that's touch. My, that's little, my era. Yeah, little things like that. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That's that was kind of my era. That was Ace and, and Sylvester McCoy because I was born in eighty one. So by the time that you know classic was coming to to a close, I was eight years old. So I was watching Sylvester McCoy and so on. Then a friend of mine had <coughs> lots of VHS tapes. You know. Dalek Invasion of Earth and then Genesis of the Dalek and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I used to go over his once a week and we just sit and watch Doctor Who. And that's kind of how I watched a lot of the classic Who. Yeah. Back when there was like the break between classic Who and, and new Who starting, I suppose. That's it, yeah. I used to go to WH Smiths and buy, and we used to be able to buy the VHSs or DVDs, I guess, as it were at that point, um, of, of the classic Who. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's some, there's, there's some that haven't really stood up to the test of time, but there is still some absolutely mind-blowingly amazing stories uh, and, and even mm. towards the back end of who i guess you know before it sort of had its break in end of 80s it was getting a little bit ropey in places but then you had like, belted like remembrance of the daleks yeah i mean wow what an absolute quality quality yeah. you know show that were brilliant and, and we yeah, and we didn't we chose to cover survival we did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it had the master in it, so I guess, you know, it's good yeah. plus points, right? And they were just like, yeah, the master and the doctor I, yeah. quite, I stood out to me just arguing on someone's driveway on a housing estate somewhere, which was like, you know, <laughs> yeah. not even it? bothering with the old quarry. Back then. Exactly. <laughs> Forget the quarry. We don't have the budget anymore. Let's just film it on the street. Master's just going to get shot in the ass with a sniper rifle on an estate with, a, with yeah. an air rifle. <laughs> not a sniper rifle, fucking hell. It's like, it's like, yeah, he must be from Gloucester if it's a sniper rifle. Um, <laughs> That's, that's another band. That's, a, that's another band for the list side council house snipers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, Gary. Uh, obviously, we've asked our guests to pick uh, a story for when they come on. Each of the, I think it's four, we're doing in in this our second season of the Doctor Who Pod. Uh, you chose a David Tennant story. Obviously, we know why. Jenny's your favorite Doctor of all time. Why in particular did you? Well, first of all, let us know which one you've chosen, and then why in particular did you choose? this one above anything else so i chose human nature and family of blood two-parter and i i tried to make a list of what my favorite episodes were of, of of new who and i think this comes out on top i think the acting in it is amazing i love the fact it's not a doctor light episode but basically it's a doctor light episode it's literally martha looking after john smith right and the doctor's is is there. We know it's the doctor and he's in it, but it is the doctor for what? Ten minutes out yeah. of the you know, two forty-five minute episode runtimes. So it's almost like, you know, like this odd doctor like episode, but yet he's there. And I think the acting it's amazing. The scarecrows freaked me out. Uh and I just think it's a, an absolutely amazing story. And it's got some great you know, one liners in there which we love. So yeah, I, I think I was trying to rank them and it's such a difficult thing to do, but I think if I was pushed, I, I'd put Human Nature and Family Blood as my top new Who story. It's, ah, okay. it, it's quite funny that you've picked this one, though, and going on about it being a Doctor Light episode, because my tenant pick for the first season was Blink, which immediately follows this episode. This, this yes, it does, yeah. Well, we were a great run of three <laughs> episodes right there. <laughs> and again, is a very Doctor Light episode. The, yeah. the writing and the acting, everything is so good that you don't need too much you know, exactly. too much tenant, essentially. But the yeah. funny thing about this is, 
I really didn't like this when it first aired. I was not bothered about it at all. Wow. Uh, and it's grown on me after multiple rewatches over the years. It really has. And obviously, we'll get into that in a bit. But yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's been really good to sort of go into and, and dissect this a little bit. It'll come to the shock of absolutely no one, Dan, yourself, or anyone listening, that I couldn't remember it. We're going to get t shirts made up that just says, it's going to be two lines. I don't remember that, or I ain't seen it. I ain't seen it, yeah. I ain't seen it, it's enough one, yeah. Um, when I read the title Family of Blood and the message you sent me to say that's what we're going to be covering, for some reason, oh, well, it is an obvious reason, I guess, the word blood's in the title, my mind went to vampires. And as soon as my mind went to vampires, that was kind of all I had. That was kind of what I couldn't get away from that image in my head of it being a vampire type story. So when I put it on and I, I, re- I rewatched it today for the first time, probably since it aired, I, I watched it this afternoon. It was quite a surprise seeing what I was seeing. And, you know, I, I totally agree with, with Gary that the acting in this is fantastic. There's so many great performances and so many great scenes and so many great, you know, really powerful moments of dialogue as well between the characters. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. I mean, you got obviously, you know, Jessica Hines is just, she's brilliant yeah. anyway, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, at the absolute top of the game, I think it mm. is. Uh, yeah. But even like, you know, you got, you got uh, Harry Lloyd who plays uh, Baines, and, oh, we'll get I, to I, Harry Lloyd. I, I, had no, I had no idea of this guy. I don't, think, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else that I, I can think of anyway, but it's just his performance. You have. Just outstanding. You have, Gaz. You've, you seen him in a show, you've seen him in a show that you absolutely adore. Get out of here. You have. I normally get to the tropes and who's been in what later as we go through the show, but Harry Lloyd, who played Baines, um, just one for me because I love Legion. He played Charles Xavier in Legion, which is an X-Men spin-off. But he was Viserys Targaryen in Game of Thrones who got given the golden crown by Khal Drogo. Really? And I know for a fact, as you are one of the biggest Game of Thrones fans going. Mind blown. Wow. Yeah. Genuinely, and, uh, yeah. no idea. No and idea. Not, not the only person in this... Uh, uh, in this this two part that was in Game of Thrones, but we'll come to that. See, I, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have no idea, of course. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it, again, it's a, it's a two part episode, which isn't, I suppose, the norm for 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 New Who, especially in this time. Most of the episodes for Eccleston were kind of standalone, but they had like the, the sort of running. Uh, bad wolf moments i guess you know touching each story but and then tenant is kind of similar as well i mean again i may be remembering this completely wrong but i remember tenant being majority majority of tenants around being standalone episodes apart from when you get to like the end of a season when you might have a sort of a couple linked together am i remembering that correctly or am i just having a bit of a brain Mm, fire again there was a couple there was a few two parts sprinkled about because with martha alone you have this and then you also Oh no, sorry, Martha. This was with Donna Noble. You had the Sontaran double part, uh, two parter, yeah, when yeah. Uh, when Donna came along. Um, and in fact, with Martha, the ending of this series in two thousand and seven was a triple header, basically. Okay. And Tennant also had you had the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit with uh, with Rose. Rose. Those ah. those spring to mind off the top of my head. Yeah. And um, Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. Yeah, Army of Ghosts. So, but then again, he's, was... he's right. These were these were finales. He's right. Back end at season. Yeah, well, apart from planet. Impossible Planet and Satan Pit, wasn't neither was this. Um, Can't be which. Struggling to think that off the top of my head. 
but they were all David Tennant, definitely. Mm. In fact, okay. Impossible, Impossible Planet and Satan Pit will definitely be one of my picks in the future because I absolutely adore those episodes. Great episodes, Paul. Yeah, okay. Well, I may watch them tonight, actually. There we go. <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd recommend it because I'll just make it a couple of seasons' time and you'll have forgotten by then. Yeah, totally. I'd, yeah. I, I, if I watch them tonight, I'll have forgotten by the morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you'll notice a theme here, Gary. My memory is shocking. It's shocking. <laughs> it, it, it makes mine look good. <laughs> and we're all in trouble. Right. The. the the, ep- the first episode, Human Nature, then, it initially aired on the 26th of May 2007. And when I pressed play on the iPlayer today, on the BBC iPlayer, to watch the, to watch the episode, I had to, first of all, it made me jump. And I spilled my cup of tea. Because it starts with a bang, doesn't it? They right. run into TARDIS. Into TARDIS, yeah, yeah. But then I'm Being like, okay, have I lent on the remote or something? And I've, have I skipped forward? So I ended up rewinding it back to the very start of the episode again. And, oh, right. <laughs> that was actually the beginning then. Okay. But yeah, that, that, that sort of really made me jump. But this kind of sets the scene straight off the bat, doesn't it? Without actually giving you what's going on. But the blanks get filled in later on, I guess. That's it. That's pretty much it. So, yeah, we start obviously where, you know, they've been hunted or chased down by something. And uh, yeah, it's uh, this huge action-packed beginning and then instantly we're in some quaint middle england what on earth's going on here yeah 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 and obviously we get the mention the the name john smith which pops up all the way through doctor who doesn't it and uh the doctor is effectively a a teacher and martha is a a servant (laughs) (laughs) but again you you start thinking well what's going on you know yeah, I was just going to say this is this is one of the better openings to an episode because within that, what is it, a minute, minute and a half, mm-hmm. something like that, within that minute and a half, you've had a massive bit of action that grabs your attention, and you've gone from that to the polar opposite, and it just leaves you thinking, like you say, what the hell's going on? It's like starting an episode with a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't, okay. I don't yeah. think I've seen. I don't think I've seen any other TV show do that. Not off the top of my head. Well, well you, have, you have like series that have a sort of emergent storytelling where, like I say, the gaps get filled in over a series. But to go that sort of balls to the wall right away, and now I'm trying to think about it. I'm sure I've seen it somewhere else. I just can't think where off the top of my head. But yeah, absolutely, like actually dissecting this and <clears throat> thinking about it sort of critically, I don't know why I ever had a problem with this opening when I was when I was younger. Maybe, maybe I'm maturing. That's what it is, you know. Young was like, yeah, great, great opener. Thirty seconds later, we're in some sort of, you know, school. Doctor's not the doctor. It's like, oh, no. I was at, I was at school yesterday. I was yeah. at college yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to watch this. Probably about uh, schools. Yeah, uh, something that pops up quite early on as well. I think with regards to to Martha and the servant girl, there's a few. I suppose they're trying to set the tone of it being of its time. And there's a few references to, to Martha uh, and that are quite, I suppose, uncomfortable is, is, is the correct yeah. term to word them. Uh, I'm amazed again that I, I again, I sat down, I, I, these little throwaway comments and as, you know, as, as grownups watching, it's because we know what they're kind of digging at there. But I think it was really well done because if I'd watched this with say my 12 year old, I think they were, subtle enough or, or sort of you could take them one or two ways enough for my my kids not to fully get it if that makes sense yeah uh, uh, there is there's like a couple of slurs i guess mm. for want of a better phrase 
throughout it. But I, I, th- I think Doctor Who's all, I don't think he's ever shied away from that kind of thing. You know, he, he, he's, we're in a, a period where that was acceptable and it's never shied away from it. And it, it's always, it, it's been, it's been true. I think, like you said, to, to the time period that it, that it's set in. Mm. But yeah. also, no, it, and that's it's, another thing it's, I think it's great about it. It's good. Another part of a brilliant writing, brilliant acting. It's, it's just, it, I, don't, I don't want to get too far into it because I don't think three white blokes are the uh, are the best people to comment on, <laughs> no, no, on, no, issue, no. on issues of racism. <laughs> let's be fair, but the, and you know, I, I would love for people to to correct me on this if I'm misreading it, or you know, to to just to just let us know. The whole this whole scene starts with Martha and Jenny scrubbing the floors uh-huh. and saying, you know, basically Jenny doesn't understand why Martha's so sweet on John Smith, and uh, you know, she's always nice to me. Not everyone's considerate with me being. With, you know, with her being, she she points at her arm, and Jenny looks at her and says, "A Londoner." Yeah, because because Jenny doesn't give a shit. No, Jenny doesn't give Absolutely. a shit. Quite, you know, she's working with a mate. They're friends. She don't care. You get the posh boys come back. One of them makes a racist comment, and it's it's all, but it's all framed in such a way that it vilifies the racism. It's done in such a way where it's where it it is shocking, and rightly so. Especially to you know to a modern audience, you know people say time times changed. Times have even changed since two thousand and seven, uh-huh. and it, it stood out even then. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's done. It, it manages to be of the time of nineteen thirteen, but also frame it in such a way as check out this shit that people oh. used to do. Isn't it absolutely crap? Is that young Archie pup? Yeah, sorry, I'm trying to. Sorry, it's all right. It's a guest star. <laughs> See, <laughs> he thinks I'm right. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, do, do you know what I mean when I say that? It's uh, and you know, Martha yeah. even says about answering back with a bucket over his head. Yeah, and stuff like it's that. It, it's it it's done. It, the whole thing is done to to vilify uh, to vilify the racism. I feel. Mm. I don't think I don't think anything like this would get into a modern day script either. By the same token. Yeah, but it's See, not it's just really... those. There's the one. There's one later on. We we Joan Matron Joan yes. Redfern. She 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 throws one away when Martha's telling her that she's like so to train to be a doctor. She 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 throws was, a, a comment. That was her way. the that one was probably the strongest one of the episode. I think that yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know if it was if just the words alone or the fact it came from that particular character because that was what yeah. threw me with that moment coming mm-hmm. from that character because she <clears> seemed. You know, for want of a better term, one of the good guys, and then that yeah. comes out, and you're like, "Oh, okay." And it did yeah. sort of make me give me a bit of a jolt, and it does make you think, "Okay, these were the mindsets of, you know, people." It, it goes, to, it goes to show how institutionalized and how accepted it was that that Joan um, just came out with this, and and actually to a degree, in, in today, it's still you know racism is still rife and still institutionalized. It's I like I like to think people in society are getting better as a whole, uh, mostly. But even with that, Martha comes back and is straight in, showing Joan why she's talking bollocks. Yeah. Again, yeah. done done in a way that yeah, that's there and it's left hanging, and Martha just starts reeling off the bones of the hand, basically you know metaphorically raising a middle finger to her. And then Joan tries to dismiss her again and says, "Well, you read that in a book." And she, "Yeah, to pass my exams." Yeah. All it was missing, all it was missing, all it, all it was missing on the end was you twat. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> See, it's really interesting to me because literally in the last couple of days, I recorded an episode of the Waiting Room podcast uh, that I do with our friend Benny Mac about Quantum Leap, and we're working through Quantum Leap 
in order for those who haven't heard the show. And we've just hit an episode uh, called Jimmy. And it's about a, a lad with Down syndrome and the main character in Quantum Leap, Sam, has leapt into him and he got to help him get accepted in a new job and so on. That episode, now, it was filmed in 1989, but it's set in the early 60s. That episode now is not part of any reruns on Sky or anything like that. The only way you can access it is if you can find it on like YouTube or something or if you have the DVDs because of the regular use of the R word, shall we say. Mm. Um and when we initially found that out doing this watch back for the show, we were amazed and we were like, well, that's terrible. It's one of the best episodes they ever did. It, you know, it's a story of acceptance and we can't believe this. When we watched it back, it was so uncomfortable for us watching it back for our podcast that we kind of said, okay, well, we agree with why Sky have made this decision not to ever re-show this particular episode. And that's literally been a decision made in the last couple of years because I know they mm-hmm. were re-showing it two, three years ago. So, it's, again, it's, it's funny how things have changed in literally just a short period of time with various yeah. different things, isn't it? Well, even even in, my, even in my lifetime when I was a teenager, you know, you'd quite often drop that word to your friends, you yeah. know, jokingly and stuff like that. I wouldn't wouldn't dream of it now. Mm. Yeah, it's my, it, and it's all for the, for the good, obviously. It's all for, for a better world, mm. of course. But it's just funny watching Doctor Who, which I think, again, knew Who, if this is 2007, so it's, it's a fair few years ago. But to me, it still seems so modern. You know, it's, even though it's, you know, again, 2007, pushing 20 years ago, whatever, 15 years ago. But it still, to me, seems like it was only aired oh, in the last, a couple last of years week. ago. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. Exactly. Yeah, to think it's that long ago. I think you were going to say it, Gary, um, alluding to it just before. Particularly modern Who, but also, as I'm finding out with classic Who, Doctor Who's never shied away from having a, a social commentary. Or something no, no. to say, or at its best, it, it just lays it out for you to and shows you why things are you know shouldn't be as as they are or were. At its yeah. worst, it's a bit on the fucking nose, like a lot of the Whitaker ones were, you know, with the uh, environmental yeah, and things it's, like that. It, yeah. It's a little bit rammed down your throat yes. towards the towards but, the end of this, like you say, it, it will, thing, but but it will never shy away, and I'm very much looking forward to having uh, to having Russell T back. And that's one of the reasons. Genuinely cannot wait. Yeah, I'm excited as well. I'm excited as well. Um, I suppose quite early on in the episode as well, we see this journal that the Doctor has, or John Smith has, sorry. And he's he's talking to Joan about these dreams he's had. He's already had a conversation with Martha about these dreams as well. And I found this this journal, this notebook, I thought it was fantastic. And I'd like it'd be fun, it'd be brilliant if you could get a replica copy of it or something like that. Because oh, as yeah. they're flicking through, as a viewer, we're recognizing some of the images that John Smith has drawn from his supposed dreams. And we're seeing Daleks uh, and Cybermen and the like, aren't we? I thought this was yeah. really well done. Absolutely. It's just you literally want it on your coffee table. Yeah. yeah, it's a journal of impossible things just to look through of this amazing artwork that's in there and whatever stories is scribbled around it. Yeah, it's just it's, yeah. a, it's a beautiful thing. But yeah, I'm sure every fan would uh, would want a copy. You want that, and you want the Doctor and Rivers diaries. Yes, that's from it. later on, that'd that'd be it for me. But the thing is, he's, he's going through all these stories and, and the book after he's fallen down the stairs and cracked his head open mm. because he's too busy uh, not knowing how to flirt how to flirt with uh, with Joan. Tried to flirt, fell down the stairs. I, I can relate. Listen, we've all done it. <laughs> normally after, a, normally after a seven or eight beers, but you know we've we've been, we've been there. We've been there. 
it, it's a sort of running theme as well, isn't it? I think with with when the Doctor is John Smith, is that he is a bit clumsy. He's a bit of a klutz. He's he's a bit sort of, uh, I suppose, clumsy with his words and so on as well, isn't it? It's, I think the first time he was John Smith, wasn't it when he he regenerated into Pertwee and he sort of falls out the TARDIS at the beginning of Spearhead yeah. from Space and yeah. he's in hospital. Yeah. And he, I think that's the first time we, he uses that reference. But yeah, similar kind of thing. Yeah, he's, he's, mm. he's all he's all over the show, not quite sure what's going on. It's it's a funny thing that it's, it's a weird parallel to draw, but this whole the Doctor disguised as John Smith is actually quite reminiscent of Superman. Because... Obviously, sorry, I know you're not big on superheroes and stuff like that, but you know who Superman is, I hope. I, I'm aware. I'm aware <laughs> yeah. of Superman. I've heard of him. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar. He's the supered man. Yeah. <laughs> so Superman's alter ego is Clark Kent. But Superman is who, he, you know, Kal-El is who he really is. So Clark Kent is the disguise. And Clark Kent's this, like, unassuming, bit of a dipshit, clumsy, run-of-the-mill bloke that nobody really looks at twice mm. and this is and it's the same thing as the doctor does here which kind of feels a bit like uh, the aliens got commenting on what they perceive people as like if i'm oh, just yeah. a, if i'm just a bit of a run-of-the-mill dipshit nobody will notice me and i can go under the radar <laughs> yeah it's, it's, oh, just, it's a really unique take because you know normally you have the real life and the super alter ego but the doctor's trying to blend in, so it, well, they even say it later on in the uh, in in the second part, where they say not only did he make himself human, he made himself yeah, stupid. stupid. <laughs> isn't, isn't, isn't that the same thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, again, early on in the episode, I suppose still very much setting the scene, I suppose, for the story and introducing us to the characters and so on. Uh, we've we've obviously we know Martha, but Martha's friend. Uh, they're helping her scrub the floors and so on. We've met her and I. We've met some of the lads who who are living at this boarding. It's a boarding school, isn't it? They're living there yeah, and yeah. so on for their education. One of them, um, Timothy, I think the, the name of the young lad is, isn't it? Is that correct? Tim yeah. Latimer, played by Thomas Brodie Sangster, who was Georgian Reed in Game of Thrones. Wow. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. yeah. I, I can't clock that yeah. one. And uh, Tom Palmer, who plays Hutchison, this was actually his very first professional acting credit. And he's now in EastEnders. Fair play to the lad. I mean, oh, right. not, not fair play, but he's now in EastEnders. I guess it went no. downhill, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when you start when you start with Doctor Who, the only way is down. Where else is it to go? Yeah, it's down. Down all the way. Gosh. Something that I suppose with with this this Tim character, he's got this kind of, I don't know how you describe it, he's got this kind of foresight, hasn't he? And he's, he yeah. says at one stage in the show, I'm just I'm just good at guessing. I, I I can see what's happening, going to happen, and so on. I don't I don't think I got that fully explained to me as to why or where that went or anything. Am I missing something there? Or yes, no, it comes well, in I, it comes I, in the t- comes in the second part, but we'll get to that. Yeah, okay. I, 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 yeah. I mean, all right, we'll come to that. <laughs> <laughs> they out they outright tell you how he does it. <laughs> ah, I must have missed it then. How did I miss that? It's um. Oh, we'll just we'll just fuck it. We'll just jump ahead. Um. It's when <laughs> it's when uh, Smith John Smith is holding the watch, and Tim's talking about his um, you know, about his foresight. So he says, uh, "Why did you know? Why did the watch speak to him?" He says, "Oh, low-level telepathic field. You were born with it, just a synaptic engram causing." And then he tails off. It's like is that and the, the panic in his face? How Tennant switches from right. Smith to the Doctor back to Smith. Is that, is that how he talks? 
the realization. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that's why okay. because he, he says when uh, Hutchinson gets his letter from his dad and he says, you know, he's been posted to Africa. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. When he was reading the letter, he's like, well, how do you know? I've been reading my mail. And I, I, I think, it, yeah, you're right. Because of that reason, that's why the watch talks to Timothy. Because other okay. people pick it up, but it's silent, right? Timothy yes. picks it up and he can hear mm. it. Yeah. Because of this yeah, okay. thing he was born with. There you go. That, that just didn't register with me at all. Then I don't know what I, was, I don't know if I was making notes See, at that is, moment or. <laughs> you've, you've, this is why you've got me for the wee wee beep boop. Exactly, mate. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> we then start getting lights in the sky. It's obvious that the, whoever has been chasing the Doctor uh, is, you know, trying here next to locate the Doctor and Martha. And there's lights in the sky, and there's a green light also. And one of the young lads who Baines, I believe his name was, wasn't it? He's gone out to pick up some beer from a hole in the ground. Was that common practice back then? What's for kids? <laughs> beer in the woods at a boarding school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know if you dig a hole and put beer in it when you're at a festival, it chills it for the morning. But, you know, it's... <laughs> it seems I say it down as a, as a boarding school thing. That's where it yeah. was. Yeah, potentially, potentially. <laughs> He's gone out to collect some drinks anyway. And this green light passes him. He goes to investigate. And again, no good ever comes when people do do this. No good ever comes from going to investigate. Just don't do it. Just walk away. Ignore it. <laughs> you but, know? but if you walk headfirst into an invisible into an invisible spaceship, you're going to have a nebby. Mm. You're going to at least stick your head in. We're like, hang on, I'm holding my hands up to it. And it's What's like... What's going on here? Because, because with, it being, <clears throat> with it being an invisible ship, there's at least half a chance that it's Wonder Woman. <laughs> well, I suppose. I suppose. I I just ran, mate. I'd have just pegged it. You know, <laughs> I'd have been gone. But God I had to bite God I had to bite me tongue about it. stop making a joke from Wonder Woman and pegging. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dear me. Uh, <laughs> the the effects here I think are quite good as well, because the, the ship is kind of you're seeing the outline of it when he touches it, aren't you? And it kind of comes yeah. up almost, you know. I thought that was really clever. Uh, I guess for it for its for its time as well, because obviously it, who was sort of it wasn't sort of at the pinnacle of it were obviously we're building a fan base building its audience you know week after week after week but i guess the budget still wasn't quite there in terms of doing all the cgi stuff like that. but yeah it's, it's a great effect yeah we've had yeah. some in modern who uh dan that sort of haven't aged as well haven't they? a couple of episodes we've looked at yeah and yeah and then we look at inferno and the green screen there which for the time considering it was 1970 or whatever it was actually looked really good <laughs> yeah so yeah it's um it's one of those things i think the sort of that early early mid 2000s cgi can can get dated very quickly just because we've kind of made exponential advances since then yeah, in exactly. cgi just leaps it's, and bounds, hasn't it? <laughs> it's all it's all relative i think i think that's part mm. of the problem yeah okay um baines basically he's going into the ship and he's cowering in the corner uh and we find out later on when this happens to other characters what exactly goes on there but i suppose we will come to that later on and we then see martha nipping off to the tardis sounds like a euphemism for going for a ship but yes (laughs) (laughs) And, and this is where we get i suppose the blanks from earlier on filled in for us yeah if you know because she, she's basically she's having like a flashback in her mind and also talking out loud and so on and we're getting the the, the sort of scenario that was the the cliffhanger at the beginning of the episode as dan so brilliantly put earlier kind of filled in a bit more for us now aren't we yeah it's uh, basically the the being as we said the being hunted we've already seen that recapping the whole fob watch is gonna and is gonna house his entire 
essence and being essentially in this this chameleon arc is going to rewrite his DNA. The TARDIS will start a sort of identity and integration and all the rest of it because they've not seen actually they've not actually seen the Doctor or Martha. They're just hunting by smell essentially, mm-hmm. but they can track him through time and space. It's the first time we see the fob watch as well, isn't it? In this episode, mm. yes, yeah, the debut of the fob watch, yeah, which is which is great that they've continued it through for oh, yeah, absolutely, fifteen years now with these fob watches. It's absolutely brilliant. It, mind you, it comes into play at the end of the series, doesn't it? Yeah, with um, with uh, Professor Yana and all of that. So it's it's really good. It's just really good, really well written. But it's it's when she says when she says, "Hang on, it's going to rewrite your DNA, like every cell." Won't that hurt? And he's just like, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's just, it's just in this thing screaming. Yeah, and Martha, Martha's getting more and more you know, agitated and upset, isn't she? As we're as we're seeing this unfold in front of her, I guess. The thing I'd love to have seen after that, and obviously I know we've only got a two-parter here, so you haven't got too much time, is his DNA has been rewritten. He's been given this backstory as John Smith. How did she get him from the TARDIS to the school? What was he unconscious when we took him out at TARDIS because of the pain he'd been through? I, I'd well, love to have known what happened in that sort of that section. The TARDIS, the TARDIS handled the integration, so I'm assuming the TARDIS dropped him off and then chose a place to hide. Chose a place to hide away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So dropped okay. Smith off in the dropped Smith off in the school. It's handled the integration, which to me says everybody in that school and round and about will expect this Mr. Smith to be there. Yeah, because I've wondered, did he have to turn up for an interview? What if yeah. they got to that school and there were no job available for him? These yeah. are the questions. But yeah, or, or did the TARDIS And they are all very good thing? points. Yeah. Did the TARDIS you, you, start, you start, questioning why, start questioning why this strange man's touring boarding, specifically yeah, boarding schools looking for a job. Has he been CRB checked? I don't know. Yeah, we that's need to a make whole these, different we need, show, get, we need to get these questions answered, right? But yeah, yeah that's what happened <laughs> during that bit. I'd love to know what happened during that bit. That is a whole different show, isn't it? Just some yeah. some random fella <laughs> turning up at lads' school. Imagine he's not quite there and he just walks in, and just wanders and goes, job. <laughs> oh, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. <laughs> um, young lad Tim, uh, he, of course, a big part of this story is he, he swipes the watch as well, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because he opens it and it kind of speaks to him, uh, and and he's pretty impressed by this. I mean, <laughs> this kid again. It, you you explained it to me how how it was explained away with his kind of abilities, I, I guess. But I just kind of. It just seemed, seemed weird the whole time with this lad. It just seemed like he was kind of, to me, sort of crowbarred into the story a little bit for the purposes that, that are there. He's, he's a lot younger than all the other lads, the other guys at the boarding school. Now, of course, there's going to be different age groups, naturally, but he, we always see him with the older group. So that's yeah. that, that seemed a bit a bit obscure to me as well. But again, he's you know this is a 1910s boarding school. If you've ever, if you've ever read Tom Brown's school days, I remember I, I got put through that at, at college, but it, it wasn't uncommon for the older lads to basically uh, adopt the wrong word, but commandeer younger okay. kids to basically be you know the younger lads to be their their gophers, the skivvies, the you know he, say, he, uh, he okay. says uh, was it Hutchison says it to him earlier on, earlier on in the episode is you know I want uh, you know here's my homework I want it done in my best handwriting yeah yeah and he's, you see him polishing other people's boots and all of that. 
But he had to be of a certain age because this is set in what? 1913, and then the year after they go to war. So he must, mm. I mean, I'm assuming even back then you had to be 18 to go to war. So he's got to have... Not necessarily. I, I, with, I, I have um, no idea. It's not my, with, not my area. Like, but. So I think I think at, at the youngest he would be 14. What, and if five? he's... Next year? Yeah. Wow. When can you wear one? I think conscription kicked in in World War Two uh, in World War One. Um, I'm not 100%. It's been a while since I've looked up all this but basically they were conscripting fighting men of 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 age basically but a lot of people just flat out lied yeah changed a lot of teenagers a lot of teenagers went to war and they were vastly underage but mm. it was a kind of if you if you're going to tell us you're that age we'll accept it because we need the we need the men we need the people on the front line so even That's if it. he was even if he was 13 in this and then went on to be 14 you know when the war starts if he said, "If he said I'm 16, and it, you know we were at school, to, you know we're at school together, we're in the same class, yeah, and yeah, others are point. vouching for him." Yeah, I just assumed he looked young for his age, but he was the same age as him. But yeah, maybe you're right. Well, it could be either, couldn't it? <clears throat> the mystery of Doctor Who. Who knows? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who? <laughs> you mentioned that quite quite early on, or maybe even before we pressed record, actually, Gary, about the scarecrows being quite freaky and, 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 and creeping you out a bit when you first watch this. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's not brilliant. too, yeah, it's not, it's not too far off at, at this stage in the episode that Baines actually does say activate the soldiers and the scarecrows start coming alive. And that's when they sort of, ob- you know, they sort of grasp other members of the public, don't they? To, to have the family sort of inhabit, I suppose. How bloody great are these as, as a doctor who villain? They're just perfect. I think they're absolutely perfect. They're spooky. They're different. They're unique. They imagine bumping into one on those country lanes oh. at night. Good lord above! I just oh. think they're absolutely phenomenal. And you know that, that's that's your Halloween costume sorted. They're amazing. And, and they're hidden in plain sight. Hidden in yeah. plain sight. I love the way they walk, shambling along, and it's just mm. yeah, everything about them is just amazing. Amazing design on them. And, and this to me is something that's really important. I think that. that Doctor Who, I mean, we, we we spoke about it quite a bit on our episode covering Blink as well, Dan. But to me, Doctor Who should have an aspect that scares scares kids or scares the generations or whatever. You know, the Cybermen in the late eighties scared the crap out of me. I used to have nightmares about them, as I've mentioned on the show several times before. When I was little, I used to have nightmares about them and, and so on. Uh, my dad can remember being scared of the Daleks when they first appeared in the sixties. Uh, to me, this is a really important part of. I suppose the institution that is Doctor Who, I guess, that it should have that scary aspect. Sometimes, I think sometimes with some modern Who, it can be a bit too, a bit too warm and fuzzy, maybe. Yeah, I agree. The best Doctor Who stories, I think, are the ones that are, have got that spooky edge. Generally set in a spooky old house, they're 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 the best ones mm. for well, me. They're, they're, we, they're perfect. We covered the haunting of Villa Diodati with Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, absolutely great episode. Awesome. Um, Village of the Angels. For you know, as part of flux, yeah. I mean, that's just that's perfect. Who for me? You're in a weird country village. Weird things are happening. Everything's yeah. spooky for me. That's when who is at its absolute best. Yeah. I think an underrated one is uh, just to give a shout. Another one I shout was um, Amy's Choice with uh, Matt Smith when you had Toby Jones as the uh, the Dream Lord. He called himself and yeah, yeah. back and forth between two realities. This, the encro- encroaching danger on each one, but you've always got Toby Jones. Just lurking around, cracking jokes, and just been a bit of a spooky prick. 
a bit of a spooky prick. <laughs> but again, another one, you know, not to keep jumping around too much, but I think it's people don't rate it as much. But for me, it's it's a top 10 tooth and claw. It's that same mm. thing. I'm isolated in the middle of nowhere in a spooky old house, and there's this thing hunting us down through a hole. Again, it's another example of that. You, you know, you ain't got, all right, it's an alien, but it's a werewolf. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? I think, I think if, like with a scarecrow, these are these are things we, you know, everyone's grown up with. You know what a scarecrow is, yeah. you know what a werewolf is, and this is what's hunting us down. It's got an alien element to it. But, and again, it's just yeah. perfect. I think that's the, the beauty of the Weeping Angels as well, isn't it? Because, you know, I said on the on the episode we did covering that, I walk past uh, uh, something that looks very similar to a Weeping Angel every day on the way to work. And Do you blink? Because it is... You know, <laughs> it, it is that sort of accessibility, isn't it? They are... Yeah, those yeah, things are all around you, so... Yeah. I mean, that's... It is. It's just... It, it does it best. And, you know, we drive in... You know, we're countryside, we're hiking, wherever You see a scarecrow... I will always think of a family of blood and human nature. It just brings it back. It's yeah. great. That, that's fantastic, isn't it? That's, that's, the, so that, that's when you know it's great television, when that sort of, it, it has that influence on your day-to-day, you know. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Dan, talk us through the cricket ball and the baby, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, John Smith's been taken away from, uh, from a class that he's teaching on uh, machine gunnery, of all things. Yes. Um, which... <laughs> You know, I wish I had that at my school, um, but it's it's all part of this subtext where they're basically the training the training the kids to to be soldiers essentially, yeah, and, and go on to do whatever. Um, but uh, Smith and uh, John Smith and Joan Redfern they're walking through the village, and she's explaining her distaste for training the kids to uh, to fight. Uh, her, her husband Oliver died at the Battle of Spy and Cop. Um, you know, the childhood sweetheart. She's angry at the army and and all the rest of it. They have a brief discussion about. Discipline being good for the kids, but does it have to be military discipline, etc.? And throughout all this discussion, um, Smith starts talking about the honour and valour in everyday life and tails off because he sees a woman pushing a pram and she's going to go directly under where people are ho- uh, hoisting a piano into a building, as you do. It's a bit uh, Laurel and Hardy, isn't it? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and just sort of instinctively, Smith there's just a kid just stood there bored chucking a cricket ball in his hand he grabs the ball off the kid mid throw swipes it out of the air and almost in one motion overarm bowls it to knock some pipes <laughs> which then land on a bit of wood that had a brick on the end launching the brick into the air at the perfect angle to landing fr- uh, to knock off a milk I was going to say churn not can. churn churn that's it yeah <laughs> this, this giant metal thing what had milk in it <laughs> 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 knock that off to then roll gently in front of the pram to stop her pushing it just as the rope snaps and the piano very dramatically and in slow motion because they needed the extra few seconds hits the floor and breaks perfect it's like a, what a, yeah, what a sequence trap you know yeah, that's it <laughs> yeah. the only thing that lets it down is it wasn't that chain reaction wasn't set off with someone pushing a domino which knocked more dominoes. That's oh, the kind of yeah. thing that would be going on there. <laughs> yeah. See it on YouTube. See it on YouTube now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All those, those videos are great. It amazes me that Smith just puts it down to look. And she, like, Red, Nurse Red, uh, sorry, Matron, Redfern just looks at him and says, you know, like, I think it was a bit more than look. And he just turns to her and says, do you want to go to the dance tonight? 
Well, I think you see, he gave him his confidence, didn't it? He? He's like, yeah, you know what, I'm cool. I can save this woman's life. You fancy it's just like, it, it gets I've, just done, from it. I've just done something fucking brilliant. I'm probably never going to do it again. Now then, love. Now then, love. What you up <laughs> Were you impressed by that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see how I save babies with cricket balls. <laughs> Come dancing with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, after, after, after this the, the kind of uh, they're still walking and then Nurse Redfern saying that she thinks the doctor is the man Smith wants to be um, you know she's sort of psychoanalyzing it all and uh, you know r- remarks on his uh, remarks on the doctor's eye for the ladies and Smith laughs it off and he goes to fix a scarecrow um, yeah. yeah, and we get a great line there because she was saying it quite the, it was just something like you're quite the artist. Uh, you know, where where'd you where'd you learn that? It's a Gallifrey. Yeah. And yeah is, 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 that is that in Ireland? Uh, <laughs> it's got yes, problem. it's got to be. <laughs> it's just like what? Yeah, and he uh, he, he lets slip that he's, uh, through. He'll but he lets slip as well. He says, "Oh, my mum was a, his mum was a nurse, and she very <laughs> Redfern, in fairness to her, shoots a shot very unsubtly. Says we make such good wives. Right in there." <laughs> He's like, hang on, love. We've not had a hey, date yet. Fair, no, fair play to her. Quick move. She ain't mucking around, is she? Oh, she ain't mucking oh, John. around. John, <laughs> she don't mess around. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, they, they do end up having a bit of a kiss as well, don't they? Which yeah. Martha barges through the door to disturb again. She, she, she's got time in, Martha, hasn't she? Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she can sense when something's going on that she wants to interrupt, I think. Oh, yeah, that was good. Well, because uh, we get the. Um... The, the tame Doctor Who version of Draw Me Like One of Your Tardis Girls. Yeah, um, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Straight from Titanic. Yeah, they, have, they have the little kiss. Martha barges in. And uh, she, the, the, it was... It annoyed me initially, but it's quite, it's quite a good character arc as Martha sort of finds her own sort of self-worth in it all and realises she doesn't actually need the Doctor to love her throughout the course of this series. But at the same time, she's like, oh, you had to, fall, had to go and fall in love with a human and it wasn't me. But then later on, she's only learning five minutes. Yeah, it's true. <clears throat> she jumps around but she, a little bit. But I mean, if you meet the doctor, you're probably going to fall hard, aren't you? I mean, possibly. I, I, loved, I love him. <laughs> all my time, you know? <laughs> probably a step too far. <laughs> uh, the the scarecrows are obviously now mobile. They're, sh- they're shunting around. And we saw the one that the doctor fixed, have a little sly glance as he walked off, which is, again, yeah, yeah. just adding that little touch of creepiness to, to what's going on, isn't it? Those little touches. Because it's all, I suppose it's almost it's almost building the, the suspense, isn't it, to when you're going to see more of this. And we oh, basically... Sorry, have... sorry, so speaking of creepy, just after that, it was when uh, Latimer's hearing voices from the watch and Baines and the father and the little sister are all stood there together and they all simultaneously turn to look at Latimer, yeah. all tilt their heads and sniff up. <laughs> that was creepy as shit. Yeah, I was about to come to the old man, the little girl and so on. That, that oh, sorry. Abducted by the scarecrows. And it's the, the creepiest one of them all for me is the little girl. Yeah. Yes. It's where she's oh. skip, skipping along oh. with a balloon. Yeah, yeah. So sinister. And well, she's just a little girl, but she's so creepy and sinister and you know just whoa do you know, do you know what i mean did you get those sort of vibes as well or is that just me <laughs> no it's not just no, you're right. murder machine <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and uh, i think this next part next part though because obviously these people now they, they've they've twigged that 
the family have kind of twigged that they're, they're in the right area because of the watch opening and closing every now and again. And they're sort of getting this, for want of a better term, they're getting little wafts, aren't they? You know, <laughs> that's sort of what they're sniffing away at. And Jenny has been, uh, I suppose, taken over. By, have you gone now? Have you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm all right. I'm all right. I just, just went through it. Then they just walk into rooms like... He farted in here 20 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, uh, Jenny's been took over by the, the, the mother of the piece, I guess. And she's gone to meet with Martha, sit down. Martha's talking, I like, given her a cup of tea. And I thought this was, this was brilliant. So cleverly done. And again, the, the way that Jenny, or, or the actress that played Jenny was so bubbly and chirpy and happy all the way through you know, sitting outside in the the pub with Martha and even when they're scrubbing the floors and, and the, the students are being basically they're being dicks. She's just always so bubbly and chirpy and happy. And now all of a sudden she's had a complete, uh, a complete 180 on a, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Oh, and I thought that was the actress there, you know, fair play. Cause that was superb, but also there's, there's just this huge level of creepiness now to, to Jenny herself as she sat there talking and the urgency of saying, tell me, tell me about this, tell me about this as tell Martha's trying to, yeah. Pushing oh. it constantly, yeah, 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 and the way that Martha twigs and works it out with the tea is is just superb, isn't it? <laughs> well, sure, sure. <laughs> Put some gravy in the pot and some and some mutton. So, how about some sardines and jam? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's just—I thought that was so clever, you know. And it's it's good, I think, that we get to see a character use something like that to suss out an issue rather than just sitting there and their face sort of changes and they go, hang on, so it's not right here. We're getting them to sort of test the water, I guess, yep. with, with what's in front of them. And I think that's quite important. Yeah. But also as well, the because the uh, whatever, you know, whatever's possessing Jenny doesn't have full sort of full access to her memories or whatever. She doesn't know how to act. She doesn't know that Martha's twig. She doesn't know Martha's body language or, you know, how fully how they act around each other. So it takes um it takes Jenny a moment to twig that Martha's twigged. Mm. Yeah. And but enough time for her to shoot out the window at her. <laughs> those those guns as well. It kind of they didn't quite fit for me. Uh, you know, obviously you look at the, the the green guns, the green spaceships and so on, but it was I'd forget that they had the, these kind of laser weapons because you're looking at them you're looking at the family possessing these, these, these characters and, and they're, they're all incredibly creepy. And they're obviously a family, the mum, dad, the, the son and the, and the daughter. And then they've got this army of scarecrows, which again, are like, like, like Gary explained clunky in their movement uh, and, and so on. And then all of a sudden there's this space age technology that they're using to zap people away. It was quite a, quite a difference to what, what they were doing the rest of the time to yeah. me anyway. We've, no, you're right. We've, yeah, we've got your space age laser guns, but yet we're actually going to reanimate some hay for yeah. our army. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I think it was? Nice. I think it was to to scare people. I think it was just to be dickheads. That right. we could, you know, they, they could, they could, they could, they could, they could. It's a great. wants to be dickheads. Well, no. Yeah. Think, you think you think <laughs> about the family. You think about the family themselves. Their goal is to get the get the life essence of a time lord to live forever. So that they can conquer and fight and hunt across the universe. That's mm-hmm. what they want to do. Do you really think they'd be above thinking? Well, we're at a relatively primitive point in time. Let's put together a creepy army. 
we'll find we'll find the doctor we'll get his essence but if we can have a laugh and a bit of sport let's do let's it do it yeah fair enough they, they was, say, they say later on. oh yeah you got to have a hobby Uh, the doctor has took the matron to the dance uh and it seems you know pretty much the whole village has has gone off to this this dance uh, you know and they're they're all having a great time martha's turned up then with the sonic screwdriver hasn't she and she's almost apologized to the the matron beforehand for what she's about to do which i thought was quite a nice touch as well but we've yeah we're sort of missing some crucial context here because this is after Martha's barged in on Smith and Redfern getting ready for the dance, pissing him off again, trying to warn, <laughs> trying to warn Smith of, of the danger. And yeah, he's very found con- with yeah. the watch. He's very condescendingly trying to explain that his journal is ju- just stories. Cultural yeah. differences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, pff, fucking hell, yeah. But he says, but he goes, this is a, what we call a story. A story. Yeah. And, she, and she looked at him and said, oh, you complete... <laughs> And she says, this is not you. This is 1930s. He's like, good. Yeah. And she just cracks him around the chops. <laughs> and she gets sacked. Yeah. She gets fired. Yeah. Well, we've, we've all wanted right to slap our, we've all wanted to slap our bosses from time to time, haven't we, guys? I know when I worked for you, we <laughs> <laughs> I can't ever imagine my boss listening to this, but absolutely not. Never. <laughs> never wanted to do that. I wanted to make a joke about slapping you, guys. Come on. What do you tell me about? I mean, we're basically then, we're pretty much at the end of the first episode, aren't we? Because the, the dance has then been invaded uh, by yep. the, the Scarecrow army and the, the the family there. And they've got, they've got, oh, I keep forgetting her fucking name. Joan. Joan. I keep going to say Jesse. I don't know why. Because it's Jessica. Jessica, Jessica who plays her. <laughs> ah, there we go. Well, the, the, this, is, this is after uh, one of uh, Baines's finest hours. Because you've got the old fella at the door um, collecting. Oh, the old Crimean War for the veteran. Yeah, veteran, and says, "Spare a penny, sir." And Baines walks past and says, "I didn't even spare you." Dead. Oh, blast! Yeah, yep. What a prick! Yeah, Com- yeah. really sin- sinister again, isn't it? Ed- you know, ruthless. I suppose is kind of giving that sense mm. of you know that air of ruthlessness to them as as they sort of just just they're after they have they have their goal they know what they want and they're just they, you know they're set on getting it no matter what. Yes. Don't get in yes. my way. Don't care who gets in my way. We're after yes. this. The final scene. Basically, Martha and Joan are both being held at gunpoint, and the the you know Baines is basically declaring, "Who will you save? Your your friend or your lover?" And then the music hits, and that, and that's the end of that episode. There now, for some reason, when I watched this back, I was surprised that we hadn't had john smith turned back into the doctor yet but again i'm remembering it very very wrongly but you know and from like a, a one watch many many years ago but i thought we had more of the doctor being the doctor and i thought it happened in that first episode i can't explain why that was just kind of how i remembered it yeah, just how things come together over time in it mm. wibbly wobbly yes wibbly <laughs> <laughs> wibbly wobbly timey wimey side memory <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Who do well. you think, if he had to make the choice, if the story in part two, as it starts off, it, it had gone slightly different, who would you think he'd have picked? Would he have picked Martha because he said he should have just enough residual memory to let her in, or would he have picked Joan? What do you think he'd have done? Joan. I reckon I he'd have gone for Joan, yeah. I, yeah, I, think, he'd gone for Martha. Yeah. I think he'd have just, there'd have been something that he'd have, I don't know. 
It depends. It, it depends if it depends if Tim would have opened the watch. Because if Tim yeah. still opens the watch, I reckon maybe you're right. A bit of that residual sort of memory would come through. And says, come I can't let I can't let her die. Yep. But then he'd be so he'd save Martha. But then he'd be like, why did I do that? Mm. Yep. And he'd be proper torn up and and confused and gutted. Yeah, so we end on a, on a we get two cliffhangers in one episode, which is a uh, which is a really nice little touch as well. Uh, the cliffhanger at the intro and the uh, cliffhanger at the end. And as we go into uh, the family of blood, the second part, they uh, they have a recap, um, and they actually drop drop in the fact that they're waiting out to uh, they're waiting out the family's lifespan, which I don't think they actually said in the first episode. I think no, we alluded think to, it, but I don't think I don't think it was actually said. What always um, got me with that. When Martha's telling story about that, and she said the doctor said uh, they they had three months to live before, like mayflies. But in the actual story, it transpires that they've been at that school for two months, so it, they've only they only had a month of their life left. So if it took them two months to fact to hunt them down and find them, it's not seem mm. like such a long time if they've tra- if they've followed them with a vortex manipulator. I always found that time frame were quite long. But they, did well, they, they mention as well that they've been going all, uh, around a lot of places? Like they'd already, they'd already been and seen the start of the war, for example. So I'm assuming they tried to hunt, trying to find him down here. Yeah, we know he's on uh, Earth, but we need, we're jumping through different times. Yeah, zones. that's kind of how I got it. As in, like they were sort of yeah. bouncing, bouncing around, maybe. They've got to narrow down not only this, not only the physical area, but the time, uh, the time as well. You know, they'll, they'll have a, a vague idea and a vague yeah. scent of something, so they can track it to say. A period of ten years, ten years on one planet. Yeah. That's still a lot of ground to cover. It is. You're right, and I'm not deep putting holes into this story because, like I say, it's my favourite tenant story yeah. of all time. If they had a three month lifespan and it took them two months to narrow it down, the Doctor and Martha could have hung out on Earth for two months having a riot. They land. I'm going to set off and go somewhere else. Now it's going to take them another two months to find me. By that time, they'll have died because they only had three months to live. Oh yeah. And I'm not, if he's, putting, I'm not. I'm not like finding holes in him. Like that, but, favorite, if he stay, but, but if he, but if he stays as a time lord, they find him. Follow, they, they find, they find him because of the scent. Yeah. Well, they do because yeah. that's how they're following him originally. They're yeah. following him because of the scent of the scent of the time lord. To mask that scent, he has to rewrite his DNA. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. At least long term, because obviously we'll find out what happens short term later on. Um, yes. <laughs> we we pick up where we left off. The family is still threatening. Um, still threatening threatening Martha and Joan. Uh, Tim opens the watch. Martha grabs the gun, and there's a great standoff. Um, the uh, the family the Martha has a great line. <laughs> the family say about being scared, scared and holding a good uh, holding a gun. Good combination. Good combination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's a badass, here, my ninja yeah. Martha. She's like, oh yeah, the way, the way she grabs the gun and does does what she does. Yeah, she's an absolute badass. Absolutely. Yeah, they see um, they see everybody out of the out of the hall. And they started, started, sort of start advancing on her, and Baines, the, none of them, none of them blink. They'd be great with weeping angels around, because none of them, <laughs> yeah. none, none of these people have moistened their eyeballs in about twenty-four hours at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so everyone's gone, and Martha says, "Mr. Smith, I think you should escort your lady friend to safety, don't you?" And he, he sort of grabs Tim to get him out of the out of the room, and Tim recoils. Because he sees flashes of the doctor, mm. and then uh, Jenny slash the mother of Martha's hope been held holding as a hostage gets herself away, and they advance on and start ta- taunting Martha about Jenny's death. 
and it, it's weird because it's Jenny's face we've seen in the previous episodes. Just she didn't die with any dignity. All that ah, screaming. Yeah, that was yeah, again, that was superb. That was that was such that, a good line. That would have worked well in one of uh, one of your old scare attractions, gas something like that. Absolutely, uh, absolutely, <laughs> it's a great scene. Yeah, the, one of the scarecrows gets behind her and grabs the gun. Martha slips out. She has to grab Smith and tell him to run and says, God, you're rubbish as a human. Yeah, I've got a clue what he's doing, hasn't he, really? He's just... Oh, no. He's, like we said, Again, this, this comes back to... Around. Yeah, this comes back to the, the, being John Smith and being a bit of a plonker with it. Yeah. You know, being no a bit clumsy and a bit... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as everybody's fleeing the, uh, the the hall, Baines is shooting into the crowd and calling it sport. Yeah. Mm. As if he's absolutely loving it. And then uh, Jenny, slash the mother, finds traces of memory and says, Martha used to go to the West. And, uh, you know, Baines orders the uh, orders the father to follow the scent and then comes out with the line, as for you, mother of mine, let's go to school, <laughs> which is creepy as shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, but by this stage, um, John Smith, the doctor, whoever, they're back at the school and they're preparing this, I suppose, soldiers in training, I guess, that we touched upon earlier. So effectively defend the school, aren't they? They're, they're getting the sandbags out, and it's almost it's almost trenches esque that you see footage in World War One of what they're setting up, mm. I suppose, around the school, isn't it? To, to, to defend the building, I guess. Barricade the door, get the sandbags. Mm. This is Sorry, where the best. This is where the best acting and the best scenes, I think, starts when we get back to that school. From there on in some amazing scenes and absolutely outstanding yeah. acting from them all. This well, is where it really starts to kick yeah. off. I'm going to, I'm going to run through a couple of little bits guys, and then I'm, I'm going to let you take um, the actual sort of battle itself, because I've got a feeling that'll be one of your, uh, one of the bits that you really like. And it's especially in terms of acting, you can run through a few bits for us that, that sort of speak out to you, but the, you know, the, he's getting the, uh, you know, he's r- rallying the troops, so to speak, the headmaster saying what the hell's going on, what's going on in my school. And just a little side note, um, guys, have you ever seen Preacher? No. Sai, is it worth asking you? Nah, I don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, any, for, anybody out, for anybody out there listening who's, who's watched Preacher, it bugged me for ages, but the guy playing the headmaster is Pip Torrens, who went on to be a uh, hair star in uh, in Preacher. So the same guy you see there also ended up being, uh, in this in this Preacher programme, a, a neo-Nazi who undergoes several inju- injuries that leave leave his head looking like a helmet. Penis. For me, the, the headmaster is like, although he doesn't have a big part as such in this in this story, I think he's one of the greatest characters of it all. I think yes. he plays it absolutely spot on, as you'd imagine, yeah. one of these authoritarian, old school, yeah. And he has some. There's, there's a couple of cracking. Like, I mean, I'm up to, I've, I've lost count how many times I've seen it. And every time, there's a couple of cracking lines he comes out with, which still make me laugh to this day. And one of them is when we're up, back at the school, and you know that they're they're, they're they're prepping for um, you know the, the the battle to come, and he's getting everything ready. And what um, is says um, Martha tries to say to him like it's not a good idea, and um, he says, it seems your favourite servant is giving me advice. You will control her, sir. To yeah. Mr. Smith. And I just want to of a line. And when sort of the battle's, you know, about about to commence, and he's like, he's telling Baines to come towards him. He says, oh, it's, it's Baines and one of the cleaning staff. There's always a woman involved. And I just think he's like, <laughs> genius, genius lines from this character. Yeah. It's so like, great, it, isn't it? You say about that, I, lo- I love this whole exchange between the headmaster and Baines. 
This because is what's Ben's... done. This is one of my. I was gonna say this is one of my favourite yeah. bits. This yeah. Interaction... Yeah. yeah. Oh. As usual, I've got it transcribed. Okay. <laughs> because he, <laughs> he, he, but he, he just, you know, he said, you know, he says, is it a clean, is it a, a practical joke that got out of hand? And Baines just gives it, Headmaster, sir, good evening, sir. Come to give me a caning, sir. Would you like that, sir? Ooh, suits you, sir. That's um, why, that's, that's why. Yeah. Uh, uh, Harry Enfield. Oh, yeah. oh, suits you, sir. That's oh. exactly the vibe I got. Yeah. <laughs> Except this was a little bit scary. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but, he's, uh, but the headmaster's gone out with this guy called Mr. Phillips, and uh, they're asking who the scarecrows are. And uh, you know, blame alcohol as well. Asking who the scarecrows are. And yep. Payne says, "I'm great. I'm ever so good at science." Uh, rips the scarecrow's arm off. We get some a little a touch of wee wee boop. <laughs> it's a molecular fringe animation fashioned in the shape of straw men. My and he's, he says, "It's my own private arm." He's ever so good, sir. He's <laughs> a classic character, Baines, isn't he? He's just oh, he's the, immense. The role he plays is just insane. Yeah, it, it's the it's the change in volume in his voice. Like yep. in the very next bit, where he's uh, where he headmaster trying to get Baines back, and he says, "Oh, sir, no, sir, you, sir, you will send us Mister John Smith." And they say, "You know, as soon as we've got the Time Lord consciousness, we'll be very happy to leave you alone." And the headmaster proves himself to be quite insightful here, and he says, "You speak with someone else's voice. Who might that be?" And we get the best line in the show. We are the family of blood. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, shivers. Chills, man. Oh. <laughs> it's we- almost like, as well, I mean, obviously we can't see because it it's an audio podcast, but it's almost like, we're the family of blood. Presented him with his yes. arm outstretched, sweeping past. Yeah. Proud. Something of a, something of a flourish. Yeah. Baines British. as well. I think we mentioned it earlier on when they, they all turned their heads simultaneously and so on. He's got this kind of, I, I can't, I'm going to struggle to find the words, I think, so excuse me, but he's got this kind of weird mouth that's almost like it's made of rubber. Because yeah. when he's just when he's just looking ahead or just talking normally, it, it's like, the, you know, it, it is what it is. But then when he gives that smirk with just the one corner, it's almost like his mouth extends and just, <laughs> cut, you know, and it's like almost Joker-esque. Joker. In a way, like proper yeah, yeah. huge, oh, it just makes it even more sort of, it, it adds even more sort of, you know, sinister vibes to this guy, you know? It's the lean, it's the sort of lean angular face, and he's got like quite a mm. pointed chin and all that. And ultimately, I think a bit of a big mouth, but yeah, it all works so well. And he's, he's just some of the expressions on his face, and like when he's sort of when he's like just turning, and it's great camera work, but when he's like turning to look behind him, and you just see one eye, and he's like, like that, mm. just like it looks dead intense no matter what he's doing. It's just, it is a fantastic performance. He is the star of the show for me, is Baines. In this episode, yeah, yeah he, I mean, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah, um, we have um, so Baines is basically running down um, the headmaster, saying, "You know, saying oh, you've got your army of tin soldiers. Uh, will they thank you? Will they thank the man who taught them war was glorious?" And he, he hints at World War One coming. Then headmaster sort of defiantly says, "He's you know he, he, he was he was a soldier. He was in the he was in a war." He'd go back there in a heartbeat, and Baines just disintegrates Mr. Phillips. Yep. <laughs> there you go. And <laughs> which absolutely puts the shits up uh, up there, Master, as it rightly was. He runs away, doesn't he, after that? It was a tactical retreat. And I think that again that again shows the the sort of the the the, the peril in the situation because the, the headmaster is putting forward all this um bravado but he can back it up because he has been in a war he, he has seen things and he is he is genuinely he comes across like genuinely like a very you know stiff upper lip tough guy 
And then flick of a switch, this guy gets, you know, destroyed in front of him and he turns and pegs it. Yep. And it's like, that again, to me, just adds this, to the seriousness of the situation when you've got this character that's basically spent the last however long building up this aura of uh, authority and, and, and I suppose bravery as well in the face of what's going on to then turn and run. It makes you think, Oh shit, you know, it's really starting to really starting to kick off. Yeah. He says, doesn't he, when he's telling his story, he says, I use my mates as sandbags. And then he sees your man vaporized into not, well, I can't use him as a sandbag. He's he's turning to atoms. I'm out of here. He could use use him as a sandbag. He could, he could could, yeah, scoop him up. (laughs) Just a little one. It'd be like, (laughs) uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're, so we're just getting more preparing for uh, preparing for war. Um, There's sort of a bit of a sort of back and forth between. Oh, sorry, before I get to that, when Baines calls on this on the soldiers, mm. we just kind of does that soldiers, soldiers, soldiers. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I'm trying not to be too loud for the benefit of anybody listening. <laughs> and also I thought you, I and really also, thought you were going to go for it then. I thought you were going to. And also my, and also my neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> Wondering what um, on earth you're doing tonight. That's what they're yeah. thinking. Yeah. Um, but after, throughout all this, uh, we get to the point where Martha and, and uh, Joan are looking for the uh, for the watch, and we get what we referenced earlier with uh, uh, with Joan dropping the uh, uh, dropping the racist comment and Martha reeling off her, her education and all of that. And one thing I didn't remember didn't uh, remember to put into that earlier on is. It comes at a time where sort of Joan's world is essentially being shattered. She, yeah. she, she was this close to, to finding love again, essentially. And it's yep. sort of been, she can feel it being ripped away from her. So she's kind of very quietly, and I was going to say subtly, but it's not subtle at all. But these sort of things are, are, are sort of sneaking in as, as she's cracking, essentially. She knows yeah. now something's not right here. Before it was just yeah. Martha, and, 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 that, and, that, and, that, and that's not to, that's not to excuse what she says or anything like that. No, no, no. It, 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 it's to explain where it comes from in terms of the character, because we are we already covered that it's you know yeah, not yeah. acceptable and, and all the rest yeah. of it. Uh, but moving on from that, the father finds the TARDIS, and then, and Joan goes essentially to to do her job and, and be a nurse. I think she says something along the lines of these, you know, these are. These boys might be soldiers now, but I'm still their nurse. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is. I'm sorry, Dan. On the note of the the, the, the father fi- finding the TARDIS, when he yelled out about it, you know, the green light come on, and he, he's talking. Oh, I found his TARDIS. This one, how bloody farmer did he sound then? We found, found, found his TARDIS. Yeah, his TARDIS. He's from Gloucester. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask if you knew a spider right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We found his trotter. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, but we have, have the next change. Like I said, Jones. John knows that it's sort of the um, that, it, that it's all falling apart, and he's reeling off encyclopedic facts about Nottingham, where he was allegedly mm. born. And like you say, guys, John knows. John she knows. knows. She knows there's something very, very wrong now. Yeah, Smith. Smith asked if he's is he, is he not enough and. They have a sort of a brief moral thing about you know good telling them to go to war is wrong. Um, then we cut to we're just getting before the battle, um, and there's an exchange between Latimer and Hutchison, where they you know saying you know sandbags might be different between life and death and all the rest of it. And Latimer runs off, and he yells, "Latimer, you coward!" And he says, "Yes, sir." Every time, 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Which because he knows they're going to survive this, right? Yeah. So he's got other things to do. Yeah. He'll be fine. The, uh, he doesn't need me. He survives. I'm off to do my thing. Yeah. But the uh, the little ones, uh, the sisters sort of watching him, you know, they've seen the watch now. And that inspires Baines to order the attack. Yeah. And I think this is the point, guys, where I'd like to throw to you a little bit when you're saying about great acting performances. Because to me, a lot of them, come in this montage and don't involve a word being spoken nothing whatsoever and it is just probably if it's not the best scene on the entire thing it's up there it's a very close second place and what i loved best about it was just like you said that there's no talking going on here it's just the kids with their guns they're crying there's tears and it's for him the him that's playing in the background as these bullets are raining down and you've got John Smith stood there with his gun pointed, but something is telling him, I cannot pull this trigger. And he never does throughout that entire scene, mm. but it's just perfect. How the whole thing pans out, but it's that music, man, that music just sets it absolutely brilliantly. That, that music and the idea of these, you, it really rounds home that these are boys. Yeah, the kids. Yes. Yeah. The kids. That We're him, having a right laugh on playing field, shooting at, you know, post with tin hats on. This yeah. is a real deal. I'm, I'm crying. I'm I'm not happy. I hate it. It's horrible. They're, 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 as far as they know, they are taking lives. They're taking lives. That's it. And it, it, it it's a, a great sort of representation of the horrors of war. And in this time in 1913, of what's to come. Yep, that's it. And you're right. It is. It is one of. It, it's for me. It's one of the top two scenes in this two-parter. Yep. Yeah. Easily. It's fantastic, isn't it? Very so. so yeah, it's just such. That they're great. feeding as well. Their feelings as well towards it, like the tears and so on, about the possibility of taking lives, is backed up when they realise that. The people they have, well, I say people, but what they have gunned down, they're inspected, and they're, they're, you know, yeah. the line is, you know, they're they're just straw. We haven't actually killed anybody, we and it's like nothing. a sense of yeah, we, it's, it's a like, sense oh, of relief. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Thank so god just, again, it even backs it up again, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. Brilliant. It, it's, it's so good. And then, of all things, the, the little sister wanders in, Ooh. and yeah, <laughs> still with the still with the red balloon. Yeah. Um, and the headmaster's there, and this you're right. I think was it you guys that said about the headmaster being one of the best characters, or was it you? Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, I say he's not. He's not. He's not he ain't got the biggest part in it, but you know what? Wow, there we go. And his, yeah. his end is nice. Yeah, it is. But he, uh, it, they try to tell him that she's part of it. Yep. She's with them. She's dangerous. And he says he will not see a child on a battlefield, no matter what you know, no matter how essentially if she is evil or not. Yeah, and she disintegrates. Yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> yep, you're gone. And the, you're in Apple. And the, the little badass stares down every single gun there and says, Who's going to shoot me now? Uh, Any one of, of you, really? really? Yeah. And she's only, yeah, she's only a young lass. Absolutely ruthless. Yep. Oh, the, the fucking balls on that lass. <laughs> Jesus, it's incredible. Again, brilliantly de- delivered. They managed to find an incredible crop of, chi- of, of, of chi- essentially child actors that could deliver exactly what they needed to. Mm. And that's quite rare because a lot of the times, and even in Doctor Who as well, they've had they've had young actors who are 
not it's hard to be too critical because I couldn't do what they do, but they're, they're not the best in the world and it does take no. you out of it a little bit. Mm. It takes you, you know away I mean? from the story. It, 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 it feels re- it feels really harsh being, being critical of children for no. not putting in a good enough <laughs> acting performance. Mm-hmm. But you know, to be fair, they're grown up now; they can take it. Yes, <laughs> it. <laughs> it's been it's been long enough. But yeah, the, this yeah this was really fantastic. And, and Smith orders the retreat. Yep. Um, and Bane's in to reanimate the soldiers, and, and we get this these creepy scarecrows. Just chasing the kids throughout the school, mm. which is—I mean, that's a, that's a horror movie right there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That is a horror movie. It absolutely is. Um, the uh, John Smith, Martha, and, and Joan are, are ushering kids out. They're trying to save as many as they can. Um, and all while they're doing that, they're, the ones that have been captured are all being paraded in front of the little sister to see who yeah, has no. to watch because she's seen to. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Bugger off! <laughs> yeah, but but then again, that, that was sorry, Dan. Again, that was really yeah, really methodical, really matter of fact, very sort of you know, yes, no, black, white, whatever. It was, it was nope, nope, nope. Literally just looking for this this one person who has what they exactly what they want. They they're, they're so tunnel vision of what they want, and then they're going to turn around and just disintegrate all the ones that are irrelevant to them anyway, aren't they? It's very, yeah. like I said, very methodical, very ruthless. Again, isn't it? They could just as easily not kill anybody. Yeah. But they say the thing, no, Why not? You're, dead. you're useless, you're yeah. dead. You've yeah. got no, you can't help me, you can't, you're not the guy with a fob, well, you're gone. You, yeah. You're not, yeah. But then young young Tim opens the watch upstairs. Does his thing. To, to draw them to him. Yeah. Works. And we have a great shot then of uh, John Smith wanting to go back to see if he can save any more. And he opens this door, and there's just three or four scarecrow heads. No, nope. shut that door. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to close this. Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Latimer's escaped out the window, so he's safe. Um, and then we have a great bit of the uh, the father there in front of the school with the TARDIS. The dark time, giving it all that, and they're saying, you know, they're they're joining one by one. Out you come, Doctor. Come to the family. Time to end it now. You know, giving it all that. Jesus Christ! But you can imagine, like Smith doesn't know what the hell's going on. How much must he be bricking it? Yeah, and and Tennant sells it so well because they're hiding, you know, watching from the from the woods, effectively, and. it takes both Martha and Joan to convince him to say that's the blue box, that's the one you were telling the stories about. And he's trying to deny it. He's yeah, I, I, it. I, he, he categorically, in my head, he knows what that is. When Martha says, do you recognise it? And he says, I've never seen it before in my life. And I'm like, that, you're lying. You know what's going on. But you didn't, you're, in, you're now in denial because now you know something's definitely not right and you are not who you think you are. Yeah, and he's referenced it, hasn't he, himself, about his dreams. And, he, yeah, yeah. you know, to the point where he's drawn it in his book. So, of course, he knows what it is. Of course, he yeah, knows you're spot is. on. Yeah, you're spot yeah. on. Yeah, it's now in denial mode because he doesn't want to be whoever this thing is that he, that he actually is. Well, he says, he wants, you know, he wants the life. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Martha says, we need the doctor. And yep. he says, who am I then? Just a story. And he runs off. Yep. Um, the, the family go to their ship, they're powering up the armaments. The fix the targets and the counting down, and and this is <laughs> Joan here is so intelligent and 
quite calculating and tactical in where she takes everybody. They reach an abandoned sort of farmhouse. Yeah, this is more. She says, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> Who lives here, if I'm right? No one. <laughs> because it's the family of the little girl who was taken mm. to become the sister who's obviously gone back and done away with her parents. Yeah. But she even says it herself. She says, how easily I accept these ideas. Yep. But fucking hell, John. I mean, fair play. That's Come on, John. But Good Lord. Lighten up, love. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I, th- I thought the floor was just dusty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't realise I, I didn't realise I had Mister and Mrs Cartwright stuck to the sole of the shoe. <laughs> I'm breathing them in. I'm literally uh, breathing them in. <laughs> oh man. Oh god, it's the uh, it's the follow ups to corpse water. It's a uh, corpse dust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, this. It, it, very quickly becomes a, a very sort of powerful scene mm. where they're trying to figure out what to do and, and Smith is raging at Martha, saying, what exactly do you do? Why does he need you? Yeah. You know, giving it all that, and she says, because he's lonely. And he looks at her again and says, and that's what you want me to become? And he's like, get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, yeah, the, the, the scenes in, this, in, in the Cartwright Cottage, for me, as amazing as the entire thing is, this is where the greatest acting comes in from all. And I, I when, when Tennant's in there doing his thing, or John Smith's in there doing his thing, that's, I think, David Tennant's best acting on any Doctor episode, when he's in that turmoil mm. of what is going on. Mm. And I don't want to be the Doctor. I want to be John Smith. Yeah. When he's going through that whole bit, it's just brilliant. Pure genius. Yeah, and we we actually get a really good bit from uh, from young Lat- uh, young Tim Latimer as well. A, a classic <laughs> Doctor Who quote right there, isn't yeah, it? We've, we've, there's been so many throughout the series, but we get we get a lovely moment of, of um, comic relief though when there's a knock at the door and everybody tenses up. Oh yeah, and, uh, I and think Martha. is it is it, um, is it Martha says I'm not an expert, but I don't think scarecrows knock. Yeah. <laughs> True story. Well, they don't, they don't have knuckles for what? Um, well, uh, <laughs> dust in the front door with the hair, wouldn't that's what? Yeah. Just mild, mild scratch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's Tim. He's got the watch, and Martha's trying to get the doctor to take it. You know, asks Tim why did he why he waited so long? It's partially because the the watch was waiting, and also because he's scared of the doctor. Yeah, and they ask him why, and you'll you've guessed it. I've transcribed it. <laughs> It says, because I've seen him. He's like fire and ice and rage. He's like the night and the storm at the heart of the sun. He's ancient and forever. He burns at the centre of time, and he can see the turn of the universe. And he's wonderful. Mm. A great, great description. I mean, it's the, and he's he's wonderful. Because he's describing this almost, sounds like a really sinister god that we must fear, and he's wonderful. Yeah, and it's just, that that line I think is the the, the best of that entire and you know that entire bit. Yeah, love and, it. and again, superb. It's amazing. Delivered. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Really absolutely. good. Like I say, it's one of those classic quotes. It's it, it's a moment, isn't it? You just it's you hear it and you just oh goosebumps. Yeah, um, when it's delivered properly, not by me. You know, me. It sounds I like you did quite well. <laughs> when I when I when I do, it sounds like a camel farting. <laughs> Slightly deeper voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and uh, you know the, the going to the thing we mentioned before of why did it speak to Tim and the low level telepathic field and, and tenant flitting between Smith and the doctor and back to Smith and basically they have you know Martha's trying to convince him and his whole thing is, uh, his whole thing is the, the doctor didn't give any instructions because it never occurred to him that he'd ever fall in love mm. so what sort of man is he and yep. Smith keeps referring to changing back as him dying and Martha's job was to execute him effectively and you know try to appeal to him because you know people are dying and they need him and Martha gives this really impassioned speech as well saying you know you yeah, I need him because you've no idea what he's like. She's only just met him herself not long ago, but he's everything to her. And he, you know, gives it, you know, all the stuff about it doesn't look, it doesn't even look at her, but she doesn't care because she loves him to bits and hopes to God he doesn't remember that she said that. <laughs> 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 Which I thought was quite funny. Um, the float out the idea, Smith floats out the idea of giving the watch away as well, which that was a, that was a moment because can you imagine being in that situation? Yeah, no one, no one saw that curveball coming. Mm. Let's just give him the watch. I'll stay as John Smith. Yeah. Wow. And, and he's saying all the way through, isn't he? That that's what he wants to do. He wants to stay as John Smith. That's that's very much you know. And there's no encouragement from anywhere to change his mind. Yeah. To me, anyway, because you're you're hearing all these different things about the Doctor. You know, being lonely. Uh, didn't yep. even consider the possibility he could fall in love. Uh, and it's just literally ticking off boxes for for John Smith. I'm like, okay, well, that's backing up what I'm already thinking. Yeah, this ain't appealing. Mm. It's not appealing to me to open up his watch. Yeah, what, exactly. What, yeah. You said, I'm not bothered about that. I'd rather be me. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, to, yeah, and to, who this guy is. But to have all that pressure while the village you, could, and the, and the, you call home the school you teach at is essentially being bombed. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the family, are, I suppose shelling is the right word. Um, the village and, and people are in danger. Um Martha and Tim leave at, at Joan's request and they sort of have a very frank conversation, you know, and she said she'd do it if, if she could instead of him. And he's pointing out, you know, the doctor won't love you. And she says, if he's not you, I don't want him to. Yep. And she does a very, a very English thing. She takes hold of the watch and she just says, blasted thing. <laughs> blasted, blasted <laughs> things like your your world. Your world is crumbling around you, and that's that's all you can say because you know we're, we're English, don't you know? We're you know stiff yeah. belief and whatnot. The only thing they're missing there is putting kettle on for a cup of tea. We're yeah. in a huge <laughs> crisis. Everything's <laughs> gone to shit. Get the get a brew on. That'll blasted sort it thing. all out. <laughs> or, or, or cracking a beer. <laughs> all that. All that. <laughs> and we get another very powerful scene. This because Joan takes the watch. Smith holds it as well, and it effectively gives them a montage and a view of, of the life they could have. Yeah. It's like a flash forward sort of scenario, forward, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, from from marriage to having children to to middle age to old age, and ultimately John's death, where he's the the last thing he's worried about is that everybody's safe. Yeah, mm. and she holds his yeah. And she says, yes, all the children, all the grandchildren, everybody's here, everybody loves you. And that in itself, you know, to, to see, essentially see a life in the space of 30 seconds, 20 to 30 seconds, and what they could have, and it's all interspliced with, you know, tenants fear, you know, essentially welling up and, and, and Joan as well. To do something so powerful in 20 seconds, it's masterful. 
really is masterful. Oh, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. This is I totally agree with with what Gary said earlier about the this being some of the best performances and potentially the best scene and so on of the two part story when they're in the cottage or the interactions they have there. There's so much going on, and, and like you said, Dan, that to show, I suppose, what could be potentially. Yeah. You know, and then almost like, uh, you know, an, an alternative that's not going to exist because, you know, we know what's we ultimately we know what's going to happen. Mm. And it, uh, that was really powerful. It wasn't just talking about I want to be John Smith. It was literally visualizing to those watching at home what this person and not just this person, what what Joan could have had as well. Yeah. You know, having it's, already lost her husband. It's laying out the stakes for both of them. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 it's not to go too comedy, but comedy with it, but it's Jim Bowen on Bullseye. Let's have a look at what you could have won. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it, it's just so so effective in every way. Um, beautiful scene. Yeah, yeah, and we go straight from that to the interior of the ship, and and, and Bane saying, "We'll blast them into dust, then fuse the dust into glass, then shatter them all over again." I don't know. You really like this scene, guys. So, do you want to do you want to run us through it? Yeah, it's just absolutely perfect. I mean, we, we, obviously, you know, John Smith comes staggering in, and you know, we we kind of, I guess, the audience knows something's obviously changed right now. But what is it? And is he still John Smith? Is he pretending? No one's really sure. And he's obviously, you know, falling about. And the, the scene that you said earlier on, where he. He, you know, he just turned himself into a human. He turned himself into uh, you an, know, idiot. an idiot, or whatever. And he's pressing all the buttons and things like that. And then he obviously then just throws them the watch and that realization. Hang on, what on earth's going? He's not even here. It's just a like, watch. Yeah, yeah. But, and he's like, and he's still at that point when the family of blood know that it's just the watch now. But he's still playing just for a second or two longer, yeah. isn't he? Well, I, I don't know what. Where, where is it? Where did it go? It's just absolute. It's, it's that moment where they throw the watch back to him and he catches That's it. That's it. Oh, yeah. I the, oh, I think the explanation might be you've been fooled by a simple olfactory <laughs> misdirection. A little bit like ventriloquism of the nose. It's got to be said. I don't like the look of that hydrochronometer. <laughs> <laughs> you said that. Gav said that to me four times today. <laughs> it's like popping up behind shelves at work. And he puts his glasses on at the same time, doesn't he? I don't want like, that. Uh, what it was, an it was, absolute it was, genius line. It was when you popped out of that cupboard that did me. <laughs> <laughs> Just to say hydrochronometer. Hydrochronometer. <laughs> yeah, yeah and we is like, oh, he's back. Here we go. What is he going to do right now? And it's just his perfect, perfect scene. And it's wow. all about some kind of feed. I mean, you've probably got this transcribed, you know, some kind of stomach going back from the feedback loop. But it has got a, yeah, you know, it's, it's just, no, it's, um, it's just comedy no, genius. He's back. He's in control. Perfect switch from bumbling John Smith back to on point the doctor. Yeah. And it's you're quite right, Side. The, the wee woo boop boop comes in after he says about the hydrokinometer. says, it seems to be indicating you've got energy feedback all the way through the retro stabilizers feeding back into the primary heat converters. Because if there's one thing you shouldn't have done, is let me push all those buttons. <laughs> but Genius. in fairness, I will give you one word of advice. Run. And there we go. <laughs> and that was after the Baines has spent so long telling him all to run. Just to, mm. to throw that back at him as a bit of a fuck you. Yep. <laughs> Just exactly. absolutely. I'm in control. 
And One then... thing that does get me with that scene, though, when he walks in, obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's back as the Doctor. How come they... Because they, they smell him and say, and he's a still human. I wonder how he, I wonder how he disguised that. Well, the like South Africa. Link, a lot of links. <laughs> links Africa, yeah. Tom Nuts with the Links Africa Christmas <laughs> gift set. <laughs> he called it. He called it an olfactory misdirection. Uh, just, it was what I did was I had a shower. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I had a shower. I breezed my coat. <laughs> That's what it was. I got out of the space detail. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, uh, but ultimately the um, the spaceship blows up. The doctor's got a head start, so the explosion knocks the family on their asses, and then we get one of the best endings, ending monologues. Mm. Yeah, oh, this I is so good. Seen. The doctor's towering above them, basically just staring down at them, godlike. Yeah. And then Baines obviously tells his, oh, his tale. He never raised his voice. Yeah. That was the worst thing. <laughs> Giving it all that, saying he uh, said, "You know, we discovered why. Where we discovered uh, why why this doctor who fought with gods and demons." Why he'd run away and hidden. He was being kind. Kind. There yeah. <laughs> oh, we go. Shivers yeah. up my arm right what now, a- even with you saying it. <laughs> Shivers up my arm. Even with my camel fat of a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> Sorry, so what were you saying? That, that that was just a brilliant little turn at the end there, wasn't it? Yeah. With that, he was being kind. He was doing he, the yeah. doctor was doing them a favour. I did as all to, of this all yeah. along for yeah. the good of you. But you realise now why you don't piss off the Doctor. Yeah. He wraps the father in unbreakable chains, chains forged in the heart of a dwarf star. He tricks his mother into the event, her, not the Doctor's mother, Baines' mother. That's why Tech Team so pissed at him in flux. <laughs> um, so he tips the mother into the event horizon of, an, of a collapsing galaxy to be imprisoned there forever. But he still visits his, visits the sister once a year, and then one day he might forgive her. And it, it, it's great because it's it's commentating as if Baines knows that we're watching. Mm. Yeah, and he says, uh, "What is it? he says? Uh, there she is. Can you see her? You trapped her inside a mirror, every mirror. If you look at your reflection and you see something move behind you, just for a second, that's her. That's always oh. her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spook. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start like just." If I ever got to your side, I'm just going to start popping red balloons just behind where where any mirrors are. <laughs> and I would fall for that as well. I would completely hook on a sinker and go for that. <laughs> and effectively, he's put he's suspended uh, Baines in time and, and had him standing over the fields of England as its protector as a scarecrow. Scarecrow, yeah. And the irony. The, oh yeah, it's it's a delicious punishment but one that can only be devised by somebody who's done that sort of thing before. So it, it does add sort of a darker edge to the doctor that we don't see very often. Yeah. But yeah. the final line of it is incredible where Bain says we wanted to live forever. So the doctor made sure that we did. It's a proper monkey's paw of an ending. Yep. And that, that darkness to the doctor, that kind of, I suppose that is the only way to word it, that kind of darkness to him, that edge that we see pop up every now and again. I think Tennant does that probably better than anybody else. He's got this kind of expression on his face where he literally just, he's showing how how angry and furious uh, and, you know, he's he's punishing all the evil around him. And you can see that the, the, the fury in his face, but he's not doing anything. He's that good. 
Yep. And it's just, you know, almost expressionless, but you know the exact opposite of expressionless. So yep. it's it's really difficult to explain, but that's the sort of thing I get from that. It's, it's showing us everything by showing nothing. Yeah. That's that's what yeah. it is. But you are, I, I also get the get the feeling that he's he's doing it because he's angry, but he's angry because he has no other choice. He mm. he tried to do the right thing, he tried, he tried to, to do the it. Thing. But I remember in Christmas Invasion with Sycorax, he says, No second chances. That's the kind of man I am. Yeah, exactly. So he tried to give him a chance. And now they've mm. got a, you know, and that, you, whatever. that sort of comes to the fall later on, doesn't it? Not too long after this, when uh, it's the Christmas special again, where uh, where Donna comes into it and she has to uh, to talk him down. Yes, um, that's it. I can't remember the exact thing because most of the Christmas specials are crap. Um, I was on but, with the uh, Arachnos under Thames, weren't it? And she yeah. shouts, she can stop now because he yeah. just stood there watching the whole thing. Mm, it was... Yeah. Yeah, it's really effective. And like I say, I think we see a bit more of the darker side of things with Matt Smith. We see it more often. But I think you're right, Ten probably does it the best. And then Yeah, we do we see it more to... with Matt. But you can't take him as serious, I don't think. No disrespect to him. He's got a bit of a goofy He's got a bit of a goofy face. Yeah. Yes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a bigger jaw. <laughs> can't take him seriously. <laughs> Chinny. <laughs> Chinny. <laughs> as Ten had called him in, uh, in the 50th anniversary. But um, we, this is pretty much, uh, we've got a couple of bits now, but that's sort of the end of it. Yeah. Um, although the Doctor does go back and see Joan, and he actually asks her to come with him. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but I don't know, I think Joan sort of twigs that it's, it seems to be more out of pity than anything else. That's the kind of vibe I got as well, yeah. Like, oh, I, th- I think he does respect her on some level, but it is more, well, I kind of fucked you about for a couple of months, and mm. I know you love me face. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for, for, again, talking about killer lines in that cottage, Joan, for me, her, 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 I think it's her very last line she ever speaks, which says, um, if the doctor hadn't visited us, chosen this place on a whim, would anyone mm. would have died? I don't think he, do- he doesn't answer, does he? No. That's it. That is her last line. And he no, it's knows, not, like, it's not gas. Her last line is, you can go. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is even better for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. She says that he doesn't answer because he. he well, I mean, they obviously died yeah. because he chose it on a whim. You know what I mean? She's right. Yeah. Go get out. There's, of here. there's so many. There's so many great lines from Joan in this this exchange with the Doctor, where she says um, he was braver than you in the end. That ordinary man, you yeah. chose to change. He chose to die. Mm. And then they talk about her going with him, and he says, you know, she says, "What must I look like to you, Doctor? We must seem so very small." And he said, "No, no. you don't." Um, and he tries to say, you know, John Smith's in there, you know, in him somewhere. And she comes back with, John Smith is dead, and you look like him. Yep. And Quite harsh, in it? These are harsh lines. But then again, yeah. she's, she's lost what she thought were going to be, like I say, her second mm. shot at, at love. You can, you, you, after after he goes, she just hugs the journal and, and yep. starts to cry. Again, incredible performance. And it says, her words say a lot, but her body language and the little bit after says so much more. Yeah. Mm. It's fantastic. She, she's, she's superb, isn't she? And again, yeah. it's, we've had it all the way through. It seems, it seems that, you know, we, we almost take it in turns to say it at like different moments, right? This, this two parter, but this was the, one of the best bits. This was one of the best bits. This was one of the best bits. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This, this bit here so was one of the best bits. So many great <laughs> lines, so many great lines of dialogue, so many brilliant acting performances. Honestly, it's 
absolutely fantastic. It's almost just like it was really good all round. Yeah, <laughs> it was all right. It was quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't regret spending my time watching it and talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we get something that's very typically tenant next as well, in that he goes back to the TARDIS and Martha asks how uh, Joan was and asks how he is and offers to go and talk to him. And he keeps saying, time to move, time we moved on. Yeah. Time we moved on. And they have a very awkward little bit of Martha backtracking on. You know, they're saying she loved him and all that. And Doctor's kind of like, do you know what? I'll, I'll accept that because... Yep, yep fine. Oh. You, you, you know, you're sounding all that, but sorry, <laughs> not uh, yep. not at the minute. Um, <laughs> still getting over me, ex. Um, <laughs> but he does thank her for looking after him. Um, so he should. Yeah, absolutely. Christ. Yeah. She she, yeah. She, ru- she runs the show. She, she, she is in charge of all this stuff. Like I said, John Smith ain't got a clue what's going on. Yeah, and uh, we get Tim turning up to give the fob watch back. Um, but uh, the doctor says, you know, keep it. Keep it for luck, essentially. And Tim's, th- Tim thanks him for visions of the future. He knows what has to be done. And Marth, you know, saying, you don't have to fight. He says, I think we do. Yeah. Um, you know, said so you could get hurt. So could you travel in with him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we get a, as the TARDIS dematerializes, we get a voiceover of the Doctor explaining the the history of World War One and how it came about, while we're seeing Latimer and Hutchison basically walk the way through, it looks like somewhere near the trenches, uh, you know, don't know if they've maybe had to go over the top or, you know, <coughs> something like that, but it's effectively what we saw before, of mm-hmm. where, the shell, where the shell was going to drop on them. Um, and, you know, Latimer saves Hutchison and, you know, thanks the Doctor, he says, come on, old chap. And then Hutchison saying, leave me, I'm not going to make it. And Latimer just says, yes, we are. Didn't I promise you all those years ago? Yeah. And picks him up and, and carts him off. And and we cut to a uh, a remembrance service. And we see uh, there's, there's a, a, an older fella there with all his medals and, you know, the pop of the reeds are on the uh, the, monu- the war monuments as, uh, as, a, as a priest is, is giving, you know, giving the reading. And uh, he's uh, the older gentleman. He's, he's holding a fob watch. Yeah, he's got the same Gallifreyan markings. Uh, so obviously it's Tim. It must be. Um, he looks across, and there's the Doctor and Martha, and Martha's pinning a poppy on him. And the last thing we see is Tim getting emotional and looking at the watch. For me, this scene is almost as emotional as the battle scene at the school when everyone's crying, because it's a similar kind of thing. We've got this. It's not a him, but we we have sort of you know the the vicar woman wherever she is, saying that sort of you know classic speech. They will not grow old as we mm-hmm. grow old. Yeah, going down of the sun and all and all that kind kind of stuff. And you know he obviously clocks it's the doctor and Martha, and he, he and he, you can see tears coming into what is got to be Latimer, hasn't it? You know what I mean in, yeah. in his wheelchair. And it's a, such a powerful scene, like the school one for me. It's just that, with that voiceover type thing rather than him, um, mm. but. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. So there, yeah. Really I mean, th- this this got me. This choked me up. This was like, mm-hmm. this was more. I find this more emotional than the school scene, if I'm honest. Probably because we've seen snippets of what what, what he's gone through, and knowing obviously the history of the war and so on as well. And yeah. then you see the doctor there with the poppy, and it was just like, oh man, it it couldn't have been done any better. I don't think. Yeah. No, I think as well. There's something to be said for um, seeing that that sort of generation who were very much stiff up and get on with the job 
Mm. Um, we see it with Bernard Cribbins later on in Tennant's run when it's, it's in his in his last two party, you know, and then they sat there on the spaceship and Bernard Cribbins, you know, Wolf's sort of, you know, it's all getting to him and he's starting to cry. So there, there's something very powerful about seeing people of that era who seem so unflappable and unmovable and, and solid that when you find that when that emotion finally does seep through, it makes it all the more it's all more jolting. jolting. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, all the more significant and yeah. and all the rest of it. it it's like I to this day, I see my granddad on a daily basis. The amount of times he's been anything other than jovial and even having a moan in a, you know in, a, in an amusing way. I could count on one hand. So that's sort of what I'm drawing on to, uh, to sort of come to that conclusion. It, it, it's and when you see it specific, and when you see it laid out on TV like that, mm. it, it, it that it to me that is why it gets to you. That is yep. why it gets you. It is it's perfect. A perfect yeah. ending to a perfect episode. I think this was bloody fantastic, you know. I really enjoyed it. I'm really, really glad that you chose this, Gary, to look at because if you hadn't, I probably wouldn't have watched it again for a very long time. I yeah. literally only put press play on this because it was selected for the show. So thank you, first of all, for choosing this because I enjoyed this so much more than I anticipated. I mean, for a start, I thought it was going to be about vampires. So <laughs> <laughs> instead, instead, it's, instead, it's this immense. It was a shocker from the start. <laughs> yes, exactly. But no, I, I, I thought it was fantastic. I, I, you know, one of the best things I think we've watched so far for the podcast. I, I put it up there that highly. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. So thank you very much for choosing this for us. No worries at all. Absolutely no worries. Yeah, it's like I said earlier. It's definitely grown on me through the years. The funny thing is, if we'd have done this ten years ago something like that, I'd have been panning it because I just didn't, I wasn't bothered by it. I did. I didn't, I just didn't get it. I thought, you know, I, I was looking at it going, well, they look crap, don't they, they're monsters. It's just, <laughs> just, just, just straw. <laughs> I was a very different man in my early 20s. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Ooh, how, we've, how we've matured, honestly. It's <laughs> lovely to have seen it transform. <laughs> <laughs> I've, just, I've just got older and fatter and slower and, and more maudly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, yeah, it, it, this is one that's that's sort of really gone up in my estimation. It is one of the better ones, particularly in this series. Um, you know, you have got this and Blink. To me, Blink is my favourite Doctor Who episode of all time. So it's never going to beat that. But it's definitely in the um, definitely way way above average and into into the better episodes for me. Yeah, it's oh. and, I, and I'm glad it's sort of. I've aged into it, shall we say? I don't know if that sounds sort of condescending no, yeah, to anybody no, no. younger, but at least personally, for for my you know where my mentality was to where it is now, it's been great to have that greater appreciation. Because every time I watch it, I, I, I see something different. I pick up on something different. Um, and the funny thing is, I probably wouldn't have picked this for a good few seasons. You know, depending you know, depending on how long we do this, it wouldn't have come to my mind to pick this. So, again, like so I said, guys. Thanks for picking it, mate. It's been it's been a blast talking about it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's been amazing. Great to share these things with like-minded people. There we Indeed. go. Indeed. Speaking of picks, then, Dan, next week, where are we going? Well, I was in a bit of a dilemma over this. I was sort of knowing what we've got coming up. I didn't want to have too many from roughly the same era. You know, I didn't want to get things sort of sandwiched together. So ultimately. 
I've decided to go to Sylvester McCoy. Okay. And I've picked one purely based off, I was just having a bit of a Google, looking around at various episode descriptions, and when it was something that was described as one of the silliest uh, episodes of Doctor Who that's ever ever been made, I decided we should go and watch The Happiness Patrol. (laughs) (laughs) I had myself on mute then, thinking, please tell me this guy's not going to say The Happiness Patrol. (laughs) Honestly. Uh, I know nothing about it. I have a a great issue in the galaxy. Uh, Okay. I've not read it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what we're going to go for. I don't know what I'm in for. It's a, it's a three-part serial, so let's bite the bullet. We'll get the Happiness Patrol done because I want to see if I think it's if it's as good or bad or better than uh, Survival. Okay. Wow. See, my memories of this are the local library having the book, and I read the book version of this before seeing the tv show and like but i can remember watching this this on the tv downstairs in my parents old front room so i, I think i've got that the right way around mm. i can kind of remember bits and bobs about it but not masses so this is gonna be quite interesting for me because obviously this was my my era this was my doctor as well so this is gonna be quite interesting for me looking back on that very you know interesting i just i have a, I have a few bits here and it's to do with the reception of, of this series um, Radio Times reviewer at the time gave Happiness Patrol a full five stars and described it as a clever and funny satire. Praised the acting and political commentary. Uh, somebody called John Sinnott gave it five stars as well, calling it a minor masterpiece. Uh, so, <laughs> Games Radar in 2015 called it the straight, called it among the strangest Doctor Who stories. It's been called infamous. Uh, described as is actually rather good, but there's no denying its peculiarity. <laughs> I might go back and have a re- re- I might have a rewatch of this. I've listened to what you said, so I don't think I've seen it since its original transmission in uh, you know in eighties. I don't think I've ever ever gone back and watched it since then. I just remember it as a kid being, "What am I watching here?" Yeah, yeah. what yeah. is this? Like I say, all the, about the the phrase one of the silliest stories and, and throwback to you know an older style Doctor who, uh, caught my eye. So beyond that, I know nothing about it. So yeah. Happiness Patrol. Okay, there we go then. The Happiness Patrol, Sylvester McCoy, is what we're looking at on the next edition of the Doctor Who pod. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it, Dan. Looking forward to it. Uh, Going to be interesting to see if which which side of the coin it sits on. Is it as good as some of those reviews you read out, or is it just damn peculiar? We will find out next week. <laughs> Dan, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory uh, with uh, with my co-host UTT Rob, where we talk about the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, you can find that on, on Twitter at UTT Podcast and our side project, Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look at the life and times, the trials and tribulations and career matches of Tank Abbott in WCW. It's a niche within a niche within a niche, but we have a lot of fun doing it. And <laughs> I think that's it. I think I reeled that off in double quick time. I am absolutely shocked at how much you've got going on. Wow. You're a busy man, Dan. Busy man. Well, this was this was instead of a social life during uh, during COVID. <laughs> if only you were as this hardworking in the office. Wouldn't that be a <laughs> you, you you get you get the best of me in that office. You get the you get the best forty five minutes of my day. 
or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even, even me lunch is an hour. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words and on Facebook there is a group SJP All the Shows and Info. And both of those are just your main sort of points of contact for all the stuff I'm involved in as well. So we have Chain Wrestling live on a Monday night with a podcast version coming out later in the week. We have Nitro Nights, looking at WCW one show at a time in order from the very first Nitro right through to when the, sh- the, the company shut its doors in 2001. And if you want to hear a little bit more, I suppose, sci-fi, time travel, geekiness, then you can check out The Waiting Room, a podcast about Quantum Leap and looking back on a show that I adored when I was a kid, show by show, episode by episode there. But most importantly... You can find this show on Twitter and Facebook at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D R W H O P O D at the Doctor Who Pod for this. Gary, thank you so so much for taking the time to watch this back. Uh, you know, do you do your notes and sit down and take take your evening to discuss it back with us two morons? Uh, we've had a blast. It's been awesome. We'd love to have you back on the show on a future oh, yeah, date, my friend. It's been an utter riot. Love it. Absolutely, thoroughly enjoying myself. Uh, hanging out with, like I said, like-minded people talking about the greatest TV show ever made. Brilliant Can't beat stuff. it. Thank you so, so much again for your time. Dan, I suppose I will speak to you very soon. Yep, see you soon, buddy. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry, I don't um, need a piss. Okay. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> well, I have a little uh, opportunity as well. Then, if we're doing that. Sorry about that, dude. That's right, mate. No worries. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. I had fuck all witty to go out on then. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to keep that in you. <laughs>